It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the player prop expert, fantasy football expert, got Chris Dell in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter at Mad Journalist. It is M-A-D-D Journalist. You guys could always get us at thebettingpredators.com and on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, guys, here we go. NFL Week 2, Money Picks Podcast. Chris and I are going to go through. Uh, all the games on the Sunday slate to exclude uh, Sunday night football. But Chris and I, we're going to go ahead and uh, we'll give you all our touchdown props. We'll give you all the player props, all the props that we like uh, for NFL week number two. Chris, not a bad week last week. Not sure if you have anything that you want to go ahead and touch on last week. Uh, one thing that I had, a lot of players that fantasy people were high on that didn't even see the game. And I was like, come on, dude. And I, I You know, I had a couple of those guys, you know. A lot of those, you know, no-namer type of dudes. But, yeah, there were, there were some surprises out there last week. You know, guys that we thought that would be used or at least at least get half the production end up with, like, very little. And then, you know, some guys that we, you know, didn't really think would go and do all that much ended up, you know, having monster games. So it was a crazy week. And I'm sure that it's been like that, you know, each and every year. But last week, you know, uh, after all our preparation, diving in and, and, you know, getting ready and excited for, you know, all the new players and things like that, you know, it's just – uh you, you don't hit a grand slam. Let's just say that week one. But, you know, how'd you feel about everything that transpired last week? I'm happy about week one, man. Uh, we're coming off of week one where all of our best bets and props in our premium subscriber discord for betting predators all came out as winners. Steve Reeder, our lead NFL handicapper, you heard him on the podcast earlier this week. He went six and one on his official best bets on sides and totals for plus 7.8 units. So great job by Steve on that. His his double his two unit double unit best bets hit as well. I was 8 and 5 overall on my premium player props in our Discord channel and I was happy about that. I gave out three bonus bets in our free Discord channel which you can get the link to on my Twitter page or just ask me about it if you can't find it. Uh, we were actually 3 and 0 for plus 3 units on those. So overall for the week I was uh, 12 and 6 for plus 5.04 units. That's also included in a half unit prop. I gave out Thursday night, Joshua Palmer over three and a half catches. So started off week two well uh, with that bet there. So I'm happy about week one results. Uh, very happy about fantasy. I was placed in the top 20 in uh, fantasy pros expert accuracy competition. That's basically about 198 close to 200 overall fantasy rankers that fantasypros.com grades on the rankings each week. If you notice the free fantasy rankings I put out every week on bettingpredators.com, you can find those on the homepage right now. I've got them up for week two. I do 300 players every week, counting kickers and defense. And what they do is they take your scores from basically like the top 50 to 60 players at each position. So obviously for running back and receiver mostly, but they do all the positions they grade them by. Then they give you an overall score uh, in terms of how accurate you were overall and then how accurate how accurate you were per position. I was number six out of 198 in terms of running back accuracy, number eight in terms of wide receiver accuracy. My, my quarterback is what brought my overall grade down. I was way down the list on quarterback. I don't know what happened there, but I was very happy overall to finish in the top 20 out of 200 people. A lot of names I respect on there, a lot of names uh, that I've listened to and followed for a long time that I've learned to make me a better fantasy analyst. So overall, great week one. Uh, but for me, like, I, I just want to continue to like, what did I learn? What did I miss in week one? How can I use that to get better? Because the one thing that we talked about a lot, sleepy behind the scenes and to our subscribers in discord is that I was six and oh on unders on props and I was two and five on overs. And we talk all the time about unders being a more profitable bet across the board when it comes to fantasy props, uh, you know, when it comes to fantasy football, over under props, all these types of things. 
we really want to focus on that because there's so many more outs. Like I gave out eight season-long player props for our premium Discord channel, and seven of them were unders, uh, and one was an over. And all the unders look like they're, they're going to hit after week one. Very good pace to hit. The one over I gave out, not a good pace to hit. So it's just there's so many ways to lose an over. There's not so many ways to lose an under. And that's something where you go from year one when I started giving out props two years ago, predominantly most of my plays were overs. I still had a good winning record, but I don't think it was as sustainable as a, a strategy and a process. And that's what I've tried to do over these last couple seasons, especially this year, really focus on how to get the best edge in terms of betting, betting these under props, how to figure out where to target them in certain teams, certain scenarios, certain situations. That's my biggest takeaway is to just continue honing in on figuring out what are the best unders to attack across the board. And then if the books happen to over-adjust on that side, which I'm not sure they're doing just yet, then you, you consider, hey, look, these books have over-adjusted now for these unders. Now it's time to attack a few overs. But I still feel like overall from top to bottom, the unders are much more profitable attack to across the board uh, for, for week two at the very least. Well, I'm sure you'll have a couple unders uh, in the Discord channel. And again, if you guys have not signed up yet, for the bettingpredators.com, you need to do so. You guys can get the great season package that's available right now. You get all the player props, DFS, all the articles, you know, that not only are free, but, you know, that you guys go ahead and have access to. It's all in the Discord channel. Everything's there. So you guys will get an invite to that, and it's cool. You guys will make some money. And I know that Steve's already putting stuff out for week three. Like, that dude is, like, way ahead of the market. Steve's a, mach- Steve's a machine, and, and he hit at 60% on his props and his best bets on sides and totals last year, and he's already off to a crazy start. Unsustainable start. <laughs> no one's going to go 6-1 and one every week during the season, during the course of a season. But if you know Steve, you know his process, you know his work ethic, you know that that's not a surprising result for a given week uh, of National Football League there for him. So very happy with that. Uh, I, and I think overall, we actually extended our, our – uh, our early bird subscriber rate for people trying to get. I know a lot of people just are tuning in now in terms of now that we have one week of football under our belt. So now you can actually still still use our coupon code BP30, which will get you $30 off our season-long package. It comes out to like $2 a week. You get full access to the rest of the Super Bowl. Everything gets put in real time in our Discord. We talk about picks on our Money Picks pod, and we talk about free picks on our articles on the site that are free uh, and, and on our podcast that are free during the week. But in our Discord, you get access to every single thing we're betting personally in real in real time, all of our best bets all in one place. You're going to get recommended bet sizes. You're going to get the research we do in terms of, hey, we like a pick. We're not just going to give it out like we do on a podcast. We're going to research. We're going to check 12, 15, 16 different books at a time to give you the best line all in, all in that same moment so you can make the most actionable bet. You get early access to Steve's power ratings. And like you said, Steve's already doing look-ahead lines. Like a lot of people, they'll do look-ahead lines for the next week on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Steve is putting week three bets in on Monday and Tuesday of this past week. So the guy's an absolute machine. If you just follow him alone, you're going to make a ton of money this year. You, you come out plus one unit, ahead, one unit ahead this year on Steve's bets or our, or our player props, you're already going to uh, profit and make, make money on what it costs to sign up for the betting predators uh, 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 premium package for the entire season. So it's a great bargain. We're only going to have that up for a couple more days, so make sure to take advantage of it for sure. All right, good stuff there, Chris. Let's go ahead and let's jump into our games here. Uh, last podcast, I went ahead and gave out a, a touchdown prop for every single game that we covered. Now look, guys, I'm not betting a ton on these. Um, pizza bet some of them. Some of them I do like quite a bit, though, so I'll put a little bit more on them. But, you know, I don't want to go ahead and say that, you know, that these are like forced, you know, to go ahead and give out. But they're fun. A lot of people ask for them. And then, you know, I put an article out for you guys to go ahead and read and it's got, you know, it's got everything in there. So 
I'll continue to go ahead and do that. It's pr- quite fun. All right, with all that good stuff out of the way, let's go ahead. Let's jump into this week's games. Let's start it out here with the Patriots at the Steelers. Patriots minus two and a half. We have a total of 40 and a half. Now, let me give you my touchdown prop here, Chris. It's going to be Deontay Johnson to go ahead and score a touchdown this one, plus 175. And not only am I going to use that, I'm going to use Deontay Johnson over 54 and a half receiving yards. I think it's hard to fade Johnson here with him getting like one-third of the target share. Uh, last week, Pittsburgh wasn't in a pass-first offense as they led you know, pretty much for that entire game against your Bengals. So uh, that's an, it, it, quite encouraging for me from a potential game flow perspective. The Pats are favored here, so the Steelers might actually have to throw a little bit more. But you know, Johnson, ton of targets last week, and his over and under only 54-and-a-half. Uh, I like that. I think that that Trubisky will go ahead and try to get the ball right back to him this week. So I think not only does Johnson go over his yardage, but I think he gets in the end zone, scores a touchdown. Uh, so that's two props for that game. Same player, but that's what I'm looking at for the Patriots Steelers. What about you? Yeah, touchdown prop, it's a tough one because I'm not too confident in either of these offenses coming out of week one. Obviously, the Patriots only scored seven points against Miami. Look, the Steelers had a big win. I think a lot of that had to do with their defense. I think they got very fortunate in terms of getting some lucky interceptions, I know I know Burrow threw four. Probably maybe one or two of them were his fault. I thought a couple of them were pretty fortunate interceptions to go the Steelers' way. When it comes to the touchdown props, you know we're not going to have Ty Montgomery for this game, and you know I, I think that Damian Harris is properly lined at plus one twenty-five anytime touchdown score for this game because you know he's going to get a bulk of those goal line carries if the Patriots do happen to get down there. What, what's surprising to me, Sleepy, is that Jalen Warren is plus 160, third favorite on the board to score a touchdown in this game. Like, now, look, this is a guy that we've talked about stashing all over the place, whether we're talking about best ball, preseason, et cetera. Najee Harris, admittedly, has been dealing with a Liz Frank injury. He was in a boot less than a week ago. They say he's fine now, but how much longer can that hold up? I have no idea. It seems to me like the books are trying to tell us something that they know. If Najee Harris is plus 125 to score a touchdown, and Jalen Warren is just plus 160. That really makes me want to look again at Najee Harris's under overall for this game. And, and we'll get to those props here in a little bit. But that that's very that was the most surprising thing that jumped off the board to me when I saw this here. Other than that, what you saw was, yeah, Deontay Johnson, man, like, you know, a lot of targets again. Like, and we actually the, the surprising thing for me was that we didn't see the Steelers' offense really changed too much. That, that's what everyone said coming in this year. Like, oh, man, it's not going to be like Big Ben last year. You know, he's not going to be checking it down, throwing it two yards from the line of scrimmage. But that's essentially what Trubisky did with Deontay once again. And Deontay's just a talented dude in that realm. Like, he knows how to command targets to the line of scrimmage. They can pretty much throw the, throw the guy the ball anywhere on the field. He can make plays happen. So I'm really in on Deontay uh, in terms of my fantasy rankings overall. Uh, even though I was starting to get a little bit low on him entering the season, I've got Deontay at number 15 overall in my wide receiver rankings. That's six spots above the expert consensus rankings right now. So he's most people are ranking him around the 20 range. I'm ranking him between the 10 and 15 range. So I definitely like Deontay for fantasy, for DFS purposes, especially in DraftKings where it's full point PPR there. But uh, it's really tough for me to even give out a lean uh, with, with these touchdown props here. I, I would definitely say I, don't, I, I definitely don't mind where you're headed with that one. The only other guy I think could provide a little bit of value would be a Pat Fryermuth plus one ninety five. I mentioned him last week, and you know he's another guy like right next to Deontay, where he was essentially the second leading receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we saw him pick up right where he left off. And you know, at least we know that we're not getting a downgrade in quarterback play from Big Ben to Mitch Trubisky. We don't even have to say Mitch Trubisky is an above average quarterback. We just know it's at least going to be just as it was last year, if, if not maybe a little bit better. So I, I like I like the trajectory 
that Friar Moose headed on right now. And I think at plus 195, big bodied red zone threat like we saw last year. And he didn't get a touchdown in week one, but you know he's going to get looks and opportunities in week two for a Patriots defense that really couldn't slow down the Dolphins passing attack either. So I, I think there's some decent value there on Pat Fryermuth plus 195. That's pretty much the only place I can look for that game. And I dig the Fryermuth thing. I think it's interesting, you know, when you look at his numbers from last week that a lot of people might actually clamor to him this week because of the numbers that he put up. And I'm guessing he's probably going to be used uh, quite a bit in DFS. I actually don't think that that's actually a bad thing here. You know, if you go back to what, you know, the Patriots did last week. Um, they didn't look very well against the wide receiver, but you got to figure, like, what are they going to do? What's going to be their game plan? Well, probably stop Claypool, probably stop Deontay Johnson and force, you know, them to get the ball to the tight end or to have to run with, you know, potentially a backup running back or Trubisky. Um, it, it, it looks to me like this is just my, my gut feeling here is that the Patriots are going to do, you know, the most to try to stop the wide receiver course. So, I actually think Firemuth could actually be not a bad fantasy option this week, and just kind of just what I'm thinking. All right, let's go ahead and move into our next game. Here we got the Dolphins at the Ravens. Ravens minus three and a half total, forty-four and a half. Uh, I'm going to keep this here simple, Chris. I'm going to do pretty much what I was kind of doing in the last game. I'm going to go ahead and target a wide receiver, score a touchdown here, Tyree Kill plus one sixty, and I'm also going to go ahead and I'm going to double up on that Tyree Kill over sixty-eight and a half receiving yards. Look, I love Waddle, but Tyree Kill is clearly the Dolphins' number one option. He showed that last week, and the fact that, you know, he was used so much, um, you know, in his first game, I was I guess it was a little surprising to me. You know, he led the team in targets last week with 12. Uh, two or threw the ball 33 times, and, you know, for him to be his first game to get, like, one-third of the target share in his first game, I guess that's kind of encouraging. I think if Hill gets another target share like that, like, if that dude gets 12 passes thrown to him, I really like my chances for him to go ahead and go over to 68 and a half receiving yards and for him to go ahead and get in the end zone. And look, it might backfire on me, but dude, if you're getting 12 targets to Tyreek Hill and he ends up with eight or nine catches or even seven catches, uh, we know that guy can break, you know, break a big run easily. So uh, I'll go ahead. I'll do that. I love the target share. That That's that's what I'm buying more than anything. I'm buying that more than the yardage and more than the touchdowns. It's the target share that I'm buying. Get that guy the ball and, you know, we've seen what he can make happen. So. Uh, Tyreek Hill score a touchdown plus 160. And uh, my only other prop for this one is Tyreek Hill over 68 and a half receiving yards. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, I, I like that. And I think that's the one thing that you want to bank on from week one, especially with guys that we've seen earn big target shares in the past. And if they're doing that again in week one on a new team, and this is a Dolphins team that we were worried about, like, are they going to be a run first offense with Mike McDaniel coming from the run heavy 49ers scheme with Kyle Shanahan? And they had the highest pass rate over expectation in the entire league. In week one, I don't know if that's going to continue, but I, I love what I'm seeing there with them opening up the offense with Tua going to Tyreek, going to Jalen Waddle. Obviously, you have the pass catching specialist back in Chase Edmonds, who was also the leading rusher for the team in that respect, too. And I, I couldn't look anywhere else in terms of the touchdown props for this game with Tyreek Hill. I, I think that the value is there in terms of just him being plus 160 to Jalen Waddle, plus 180, when he more than doubled the targets that Waddle saw in week one. I know Waddle had the big touchdown catcher run as well. But it's looking like, you know, Jalen Waddle's a second-year player, very talented guy. Tyreek Hill's a proven commodity. He's in his prime, has that experience, can command targets at an elite level in the NFL. So at plus 160, with him being the sixth best option on the board to score a touchdown in this game, I, I know that the Ravens are favorites here, but you're looking at a board that has Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, Kenyon Drake, Rashad Bateman, all being the top five odds to score a touchdown in this game. I don't think there's any value there 
for the Ravens. But when Tyree Kill is the sixth option to score a game, or maybe he should be tied for number one at the very least, I definitely think there's some value there, especially when Duvernay is only plus 175 behind him there too. So I, I, I like where your head is at again uh, on that one, kind of similar to the process you, we were talking about for the Steelers game. Uh, for me, I want to look at the fact that, you know, you look at this head-to-head player matchup market and, and we hit all the bets we gave out in our free Discord channel last week on that. And, and I and I think you can find some good value there. Now, look, like I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you should bet Tyree Kill minus 310 over Rashad Bateman in terms of receptions, in terms of receiving yards, et cetera. But I do think that you can find some value uh, when it comes to something like uh, a head-to-head targets, for example. So those are some of the props that I'm looking at for this game with the, with the Miami Dolphins coming out possibly pass-heavy uh, again in this matchup. But what I want to do in, in, until I give out a best bet in this game, Sleepy, I want to really wait and to see what the final status is on J.K. Dobbins in this game. We don't have anything on the board for him yet. Like He's looking like he's projecting to play, but it's not a guarantee just yet. So that's going to put guys like Kenyon Drake into the mix. It's going to possibly put Mike Davis back into the mix with a couple carries there. Kenyon Drake is essentially the starting running back. So kind of waiting to feel things out here uh, in in that respect there. But I definitely think that uh, a a player like Tyree Kill with the amount of targets that he had, I I definitely would look to his over receptions as something that I had my eye on. Minus 60 is a little bit rich for that. But with the pass rate that the Dolphins had last week, and you're talking about a guy that could get 12 or even more targets in a given game, especially in this game where maybe the Dolphins will be trailing and needing to throw even more, that's the first place I got to look just based off the volume alone and the matchup and potential game script in week one. Shop around for that line. I think if you can find something less than minus 150 on that, I definitely think that's a solid bet for sure. All right. You know, when you're talking about Dobbins, I was a little bit curious about you know, what Miami's going to do with their backfield. I mean, you have Chase Mendemans there. You have Raheem Mostert there. Do you have any thoughts on, on how you're feeling right now with the Dolphins' backfield? Well, I mean, it, it looks like that Chase Edmonds is the main guy and Mostert's kind of just change of pace. So it, it's 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 going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how it plays out because they were very inefficient running the ball. And that's not personally what I expected coming out of this offense with what Mike McDaniel liked to do scheme-wise. But he took the opposite approach of what a lot of people expected him to do in week one there, which is honestly, that's good for Chase Edmonds because, you know, no matter how inefficient the Dolphins are running the ball, like they're going to be efficient in the short area passing attack. And that's where two has done well in his short NFL career. And, you know, that's where Tyreek Hill plays well. That's where Jalen Waddle plays well. That's where Chase Edmonds plays well. They can catch these short passes. They can run with the ball and make plays after after the catch and get those yards after the catch there. So you're looking at Chase Edmonds, you know, 12 carries, 25 yards, but he still had more than double the amount of carries as Raheem Mostert, and no one else had more than one carry on that team. So it's Chase Edmonds is the one, Mostert's the two, and then Chase Edmonds had four had four targets. That was just one target less than Jalen Waddle. So I, I think that Chase Edmonds is really more of a buy-low candidate after this game. And his receptions prop over two and a half is minus 185 right now. I wouldn't pay that price to bet that necessarily because those props can go sideways very fast if the game script kind of flips on its head and the Dolphins wind up winning. But I think it goes to show you that he's the main guy. He's going to be the third option in that passing game or in the offense in general. It's going to be Tyree Kill 1, Jalen Waddle 2, Chase Edmonds 3. So fantasy-wise, probably too late in the week now to make a trade. But I definitely think he's a good DFS target and definitely a good buy-low trade target in fantasy football season-long leagues. You know, one of the things that I was kind of thinking about going into the season, like between Edmonds and Mostert, was that you know if I go back and I look at some of the games that Mostert had in San Francisco, he had some of the biggest rushing games for that team. And I was never really fully convinced that Chase Edmonds was the one. 
So I'm still kind of optimistic here on Mostert. And, and I don't believe that this is actually like a decided backfield as of right now. I still think Mostert can end up, you know, getting a decent amount of touches, at least in the rushing game. And maybe maybe they end up taking Edmonds and going, you know what? You know, last week you were, you know, ran for two, 2.1 yards per carry. Maybe they look to use him a little bit more as like the three down back and try to get Mostert in there, you know, to kind of carry the load. I don't know. I'm just saying. I think that there are some some wagers that we could attack here with Mostert, maybe looking at his rushing yards over. Um, that's just kind of what I was thinking, you know, based on, you know, what he's done in his past. Not sure if you have any feelings on the quarterbacks. You know, you got two on one side, you got Lamar Jackson on the other. I thought two his yarder was a little bit high. But look, that team's throwing the ball. I mean, probably throwing the ball more than than most people expect. And you know, when you got Hill and Waddle out there, I guess it's kind of hard to just hand the ball off to, you know, Edmonds and Mostert. So I'm not sure how you're feeling about the quarterbacks this week. I kind of backed away from from both of them. You know, last week I was uh playing a little bit on them, but this week I'm just gonna stay away. How about you? Well, the one prop that again I want to—I know it's not directly correlated, but I want to wait on this because I have my eye on it. But it's Lamar Jackson under his rushing yards. He had six carries for 17 yards in Week One, and there's some legitimate concerns that because he didn't get that deal done in Baltimore, and they're going to wait to franchise tag him, that he's basically decided like I'm not going to risk my body like I have in the past if I'm not going to have that contract. And I'm, and I'm not—that's not even like real reported news, but that's something that's. I think is a genuine conversation being talked about in different channels in football right now around the league. And it makes perfect sense. Like, why would you do that? Especially with the uncertainty at that position when his number one asset is his rushing. So unless he absolutely needs to do it. And I don't know if this, I don't know if this, if this is the game where he's going to need to do it. That's the thing is Miami's coming in off a win. I get it, but Baltimore's still at home. They're still favorites in this game comfortably. And I don't think that, you know, six carries 17 yards, like, we're just basing this on Lamar's prior history, but I think that contract situation could play a role here. And that's something where if we start seeing a couple weeks in a row of that continuing to be, to be the case of him running less and passing more like this number will never be in the fifties again. So that's something I definitely have my eye on. And I think if Dobbins plays, uh, it's going to make a stronger case for me to want to bet that under for Lamar as well. Well, we can't wait a couple of weeks. If you're going to bet it, you have to bet it now. And then you got to bet it next week and you got to bet it the week after. Like you, you either need to ride it or you, or you just need to not bet it at all. So you, you can't wait. And I think that, you know, that, that it's important to note that if Lamar Jackson's not running his normal offense, then Baltimore stands a good chance to uh, end up losing games. And I personally, I like Miami in this game. And if what you're saying, and I said this last week going into our first podcast, you know, that I liked his completions over. I came up short by half. That sucked. You know, I probably should have played the rushing yards under because that was really, you know, part of my part of my handicap was that I didn't think he was going to run because that contract didn't get done. So I, I kind of zigged when I should have zagged. But if you think that that might be the thing, and, and I was thinking that last week, then we need to just be betting his rushing yards under right now. And we just keep riding that train until, like Chris said, like they just make it so low, you know, that it becomes unbettable. But, you know, right now at 50 yards, if that's what it is, or, you know, if he could find a better number than that, then just bet it under and, and don't be too worried about it. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, I don't have anything else on that game, Chris. So with that said, why don't we go and let's jump into – why don't we talk about the Jets and the Browns. Browns going to be minus 6.5, low total in this one, 39. Uh, I love my touchdown prop here. I actually have two of them. I'll, I'll let you go first uh, uh what you got if you want to go ahead, and I'll, I'll save my touchdown prop for a minute. Well – Looking at this board, it's really tough to want to bank on anyone outside of Nick Chubb. However, Nick Chubb's minus 140. 
And it's like, I think just long term, if you're playing touchdown props and you're betting these things, anything worse than even money to me is a really shaky bet. So I'll stay away from that personally. Kareem Hunt's coming off two touchdowns. They were receiving touchdowns, a little bit more fluky than normal than being rushing touchdowns, especially with the role he's playing. Look, he could do it again, but I don't know if plus 105 is enough for me. What I want to look a little further down the board. I actually think there's some decent value on Brees Hall, the rookie running back here, plus 360. You're looking at a, at a game in the Jets in week one where they played from behind uh, against a pretty good defense in Baltimore that's gotten a lot healthier compared to how they looked last season. And, you know, these guys are getting tons of checkdowns from Joe Flacco. And we, we can see a similar scenario here where the Jets are going on the road. They're playing against Miles Garrett and a pretty good Browns defense. For as bad as the Browns offense looked in week one, their defense pretty much played up the par. We saw Denzel Ward, one of the top five rated defensive backs in the league, really put the clamps down on DJ Moore in Carolina and made Baker Mayfield struggle and Christian McCaffrey struggle to an extent at times, just in terms of Cleveland's overall defense from the line to the secondary. So when you look at Brees Hall and Michael Carter, yeah, like we know they they said Carter was the number one running back and he still looks like he's 1A to 1B, but Hall is it, it was the most talented back in terms of his prospect profile in the draft. He also had nine targets, just like Michael Carter did in week one. He also had six carries. So you're talking about a guy – that's going to get nine targets and six carries in a game like this, uh, in a game like it was in week one. I, I don't see much changing in week two with Joe Flacco at the helm here against another good defense. So I see a lot of checkdowns. I see a lot of potential maybe for garbage time where they want to give the rookie some extra run if that becomes a scenario in this game with the game script. So I think when you're looking at Michael Carter plus 210, uh, their workloads were way too similar to where I don't think that Brees Hall should be literally almost twice that to score a touchdown, given how close they were in overall touches for week one. So that, to me, best touchdown prop value on the board that I'm seeing right now, Brees Hall plus 360. All right, I should have went first on that. So here's what I have. This is exactly what I have verbatim here. Michael Carter to score a touchdown plus 210. Uh, last week, Carter had 17 touches on 19 potential touches. He played really well, and I thought that he looked uh, rather inspired, and much of that probably due to you know Brees Hall playing behind him. So I'm also going to go ahead and I'm going to play Brees Hall score a touchdown plus 360. I look at it this way. All I need is the Jets running backs to go ahead and hit Pater, and I'm and I'm paid. One or the other, it doesn't matter. And based pretty much off what we saw last week, I feel like I have a really good chance to actually hit both. Last week, Brees Hall, 12 touches on 15 potential touches. And as you said, Chris, the Jets running backs are using the passing attack. Flacco checked down a ton. I don't think anything, anything changes here. So I'm playing both of them. Michael Carter plus 210. Brees Hall plus 360. I, I I like those a lot. I mean, I have a feeling one of them's getting in there, but I do have a, a strong, strong feeling that we might see both of these Jets running backs uh, in the backfield. Chris, I do want to talk about a quarterback here. I don't know if you're going to like this one, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Jacoby Brissett over 190 and a half passing yards, and that is on FanDuel. Uh, I felt like Brissett threw the ball enough last week against the Panthers for me to actually like his over. He threw the ball 34 times. His accuracy was not the greatest, but it's another game here for Brissett, and this one does come at home. Uh, he should be far more comfortable, and you know he's going to have the crowd on his side. It's another game. It's another good you know rep underneath his belt. Another thing that was encouraging with Brissett is he was only sacked one time last week. So you know the Browns' offensive line—they're doing their job. You know they're giving him time. And the Jets' secondary, as we know, it's not really all that great. So this could actually end up being Jacoby Brissett's best passing game of the entire year. And for him to be lined here at 190, 
Um, I have to like the over in that one. I could just sit here and talk about all the bad things about Brissett. You know, the fact that he's a backup quarterback and go through all the bad games. But this one sets up for him uh, to probably overachieve here and have a pretty good game. So uh, I'll go ahead. I'll play him over 190 and a half passing yards. As I said, uh, that one is on FanDuel. How about you, Chris? You got any, uh, anything else here with the quarterbacks? Not with the quarterbacks, no, not for this game. But, uh, man, it's really hard for me not to want to bet Brees Hall and Michael Carter over their receptions and receiving yards for this game. I mean, we just talked about it. They each had nine targets. The only other person with more targets in the offense was Corey Davis with 10. The rookie, Garrett Wilson, had eight. Elijah Moore had seven. Now, look, it was elevated play volume for the Jets. Joe Flacco dropped back 59 times. And, yeah, maybe that's not going to happen again here in week two. Well, maybe it does because they're because the Jets defense, like you said, is just that bad right now. And they're going up against arguably a better defense in, in, in the Browns that are going to put even more pressure on Joe Flacco than what they saw in week one against Baltimore. So if there's even more pressure and blitz rates getting to Flacco in the backfield, like I think that's going to lead maybe if his pass rate goes down from you know overall attempts from 59 to let's say in the 40s. Maybe because of that nature of the Browns defense and where their strength is, like that still could lead to like a similar amount of targets for the running back. So I think that two and a half catches for each for each of Brees Hall and Michael Carter is an attainable number. Brees Hall, you can get at minus 115 right now. Michael Carter, again, I'm looking at DraftKings just for this podcast alone. Michael Carter, minus 145. They're both lined at 18 and a half receiving yards. So take that for what it is. It's definitely something in strong consideration for my card. I'd probably rather bet the receptions prop than the receiving yards, but I am considering betting both in terms of like a double dip here in terms of what we've seen this offense do. Uh, we saw Mike White have similar games last year where he, did, where he did the same exact thing to both Ty Johnson and Michael Carter. And that just might be more of a function of the offensive coordinator and the coaching staff there in terms of what they want to do when they have a backup quarterback under center. So looking at the fact that Denzel Ward is there in the, in the secondary, like he's going to shut down one. We don't know which one he's going to shut down or beyond could be Elijah Moore. It could be Garrett Wilson. It could be Corey Davis. I think those are just more and more reasons to look at the running backs in terms of being two of the top pass catchers again for this game. So those are some of my favorite props. Now, also looking at Amari Cooper under receiving yards, like this line went down probably almost 10 yards from where it was last week. It still might be too low. I cannot harp enough that where Amari Cooper is just a name and he doesn't have the skill and talent that he possessed years ago in the NFL. He's one of the worst in the league in terms of his overall separation metrics. Now, look, the Browns are back at home here, and they're playing against a much better a much better opponent in terms of an easier defense. So I could see this being like a get-right, squeaky wheel type of game for Cooper, but I, I just – to me, it's too high. So it's something I have my eye on. But the number one thing for me, again and, – and Donovan Peoples-Jones, like he had 11 targets in week one. He was the clear-cut number one receiver in this game. And now we're seeing Donovan Peoples-Jones over two and a half catches minus 185. So, you know, it, it, it's, it sucks sleepy because I come into this podcast saying unders, unders, unders. And then you see these games, you see the target shares in week one, you see these lines in week two, and you're like, why is it this way? Well, you know what? Sometimes with these names like Donovan Peoples-Jones, like a Brees Hall, they're just too new. They're too young. They're too fresh. Like the books won't adjust them properly enough. So I think those are the opportunities where maybe we do want to look to play these overs in week two. And that's why I'm looking at those guys for this game specifically. Well, I think that's one of the things that that's important. And it's probably something that we have to stick in our back pocket, you know, going into next year is that we don't know what's going to happen in week one. Nobody really knows. Sometimes I don't even think the players actually know. So yeah, you're more than likely going to end up cashing a lot of under tickets in week one, but oh, week two comes around, you know, you and I kind of have our eyes on a lot of unders and a lot of overs. So 
you know, we're starting to see the value and we're starting to see, you know, what, what these teams are trying to do and what they are doing. So it's like, Hey, you know what, this guy is a little bit too low. Like Donovan people's Jones clearly could be the team's number one. And I think that was a factor that, you know, that you and I talked about was Amari Cooper actually going to be this team's number one. You said, you're like, yo, you know, he's a big name and all that stuff like that, but he's not, maybe he is the best receiver on the team, but that doesn't mean, you know, with the backup quarterback and Brissett who, you know, doesn't really know that guy at all. You know, why could they not use Donovan Peoples-Jones as the number one target on this team? And clearly last week, you know, that happened. So now we're starting to, you know, maybe see some players that, that we can go ahead and take some shots on the over with. Um, that's all I really had for that game. I will say this, though. Was a little disappointed, you know, with Flacco throwing the ball like 59 times. Now, his completion, actually, no, his attempts right now, Chris, is at 35 and a half. Elijah Moore let me down last week. Like, if you told me that Flacco was throwing the ball 59 times, I would have said Elijah Moore would have had 140 yards and a touchdown. Like, that that would have been the line that I gave it from 59 throws from from Flacco. So I was a little disappointed about him. I don't know what to make of the Jets wide receiver core now. You know, outside of the running backs, you know, are there any receivers that you're optimistic on? It's tough, man. Like, honestly, if you're in a dynasty league and you got Garrett Wilson, like – a lot of people were saying he was just going to be a backup to start the year, and he winds up finishing the game with a really high targets per route run. Like he only ran a route on about half of the half of the dropbacks from Joe Flacco, and he kind of did play in that backup role, but he played enough. And when he was on the field, he was targeted at a high rate. So it's not enough for me necessarily to make a bet on for this week. Uh, but I think overall, when you're looking at the board, I, I, I there is some value there because the targets were spread pretty evenly between those three receivers. And you're looking at Garrett Wilson, a very talented rookie, first-round draft pick. He's being lined at 30 and a half. So that, that's, that's again, something for me where I definitely have my eye on as like a high, high upside DFS play that's going to be super cheap and super low-owned for week two, where, again, I think Denzel Ward is more likely to line up against one of the more established starters, like an Elijah Moore, like a Corey Davis. I don't know which one that's going to be yet, and I think that's going to be a very tough matchup for whoever who draws Ward. Uh, Wilson could be that beneficiary again for sure. And, and that could be a line definitely worth exploiting, uh, you know, head-to-head props. You can find any on him and, and things like that. I mean, you, you look at receptions head-to-head, Donovan Peoples-Jones versus Elijah Moore. I mean, look, like Donovan Peoples-Jones had double the amount of targets in week one, and he's plus 175 to have more receptions than Elijah Moore. I don't think that's a bad bet either. I don't want to bet too many of these novelty head-to-head props, but those are the type of things I'm looking at from week one. The only thing that concerns me here with that is that, the Browns threw maybe more than what they're going to do during the year in a game that was a more back-and-forth affair with Carolina. They were trailing in that game. They might not be trailing against the Jets, so that's that's my main hesitation in terms of backing some of these Browns pass catchers over again in week two. Yeah, the Jets game pissed me off last week, I'll tell you that. When they played the Ravens, I was like, I was a little disappointed in more that he didn't have a better stat line, but I was actually uh, pretty pissed off about Bateman, too. I mean, yeah, he had, you know, he had a touchdown in the game, but that was just a frustrating game for me to watch. Uh, this one should be interesting, Chris. We got the Bucks at the Saints. Saints, uh, they're going to be dogs at home. It's going to be Bucks minus two and a half here, total of forty-four. Let me throw my touchdown prop at you and see if you actually like this one. And I would be—I would guess that you probably might actually fall on this guy if if you were looking at the touchdown props. I go ahead. I'll play Russell Gage to go ahead and score a touchdown plus two eighty-five. Chris Godwin's out. That has to open up more touches for Gage. I watched the Bucks play last week. Brady not exactly thrilled with Brashard Perryman. I can tell you that. He sent three targets his way. 
and Perriman ended up with zero catches. Brady was just standing there shaking his head. Now, Russell Gage, on the other hand, he only had two targets, but he caught both balls. I think even if even if Evans is, you know, the number one target, you know, going into this week that, you know, there's a potential that, you know, that they end up putting some type of shadow coverage on him. So I could see, you know, Gage probably getting a healthy share of targets here. He did get 42% of the snap share last week. So with no Godwin, I have to assume that he's probably going to be, you know, 60%, 70% uh, target share for this week. So uh, I like my options here that I have for touchdown props in this game, actually. But Russell Gage was like the number one. If you can get him almost at three to one, I'm like, I'll take it. So plus 285, I'll bite on that. Not sure how you feel about Russell Gage overall this week, but I think that this, uh, this could be a good game for him. Yeah, it's, I'm actually more bullish just on Mike Evans and Julio Jones. And, and given the history between Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans in New Orleans, uh, you know, obviously the Saints secondary didn't really show us too much. I, I thought Atlanta actually played pretty well in that game. But you look at what Drake London did, I think that Julio Jones has a good chance to, to really be effective in this game again. Uh, if, Mike, if, if Mike Evans is going to have a tougher matchup on the outside here, uh, you know, all these guys have been banged up in practice. They've all had questionable tags. Leonard Fournette included. He limped off a little bit towards the end of that Sunday night football game in week one. So I, I don't know. I don't know. My only concern about Gage is that he was also banged up heading into week one as well. He's currently listed as questionable for week two right now. So I, this is one of those games for me that I, I just kind of got to wait out and see because it's a hamstring injury that, that that's listed for Gage. So we don't know how serious that is. It could be really nothing at this point. Uh, I, I really like what I saw out of Julio Jones there. And obviously the Bucks here, look, they're minus two and a half point favorites going on the road, division game here. But uh, when, you, when you're looking at value overall from top to bottom, I, I think that Julio Jones to me could be the guy where he actually looked really good. And I saw a stat, I think, I don't know if it was next gen stats or somewhere else where he actually recorded like one of the fastest pure speed times in the NFL in week one of how fast he was able to get on one of his routes during the game. So you know, this is a guy who kind of took a lot of most of the last two years off, a lot of resting, didn't play in too many games compared to his prior career. He could have a little renaissance here, rejuvenation with Tom Brady in this offense. He's never had this good of a quarterback throwing the football. He's one of those guys where, you know, these veteran receivers with the talent and, and experience and physicality that Julio has, you know, they can thrive into their mid to late 30s. And, and I'm thinking that we could see a little bit of that from Julio uh, this year. Unfortunately, I didn't get enough shares with him in best ball as I wanted to. Uh, but you know, again, like all these injuries, we don't have props on the board for these guys right now, but that's where I'm definitely going to be looking is, is can we get a good enough line to exploit with an over on a Julio Jones and, and, and maybe even look to Mike Evans under just based on him historically struggling consistently against Marshawn Lattimore in this same secondary. All right. Good stuff on that one. Let me go ahead and give you out a prop here that this might be one of my favorite props of the entire weekend. I'm going to go down and play Jameis Winston under 239 and a half passing yards look I, I'm, I'm really happy that Jameis went over his number last week because I think that provides us a ton of value here and uh, don't forget that that was against the Falcons this Bucks defense is very good and the secondary is rock solid Winston uh, he went over this number just once last year in seven games Winston last year had just 56 yards against the Bucks in 2021 but you know he only threw like 10 passes in that game and was, that was when he actually ended up getting hurt uh, Winston, he doesn't exactly come into this game healthy either. He's you know got some kind of a back issue or something like that, so who knows with him. But this number is just way too high. It's just way too high for this particular game. It's way too high for any game. There's no way that Jameis Winston should be lined at 239.5 and 
I mean, outside of maybe a team or two, you know, or a situation or two, maybe. But for 239 and a half against the Bucks, no, that's not that number's wrong. So uh, I'm all over Jameis Winston under 239 uh, passing yards here. I'm not sure how you feel about that, Chris, but I would be quite surprised if you actually think Jameis is going to tear up this Bucks secondary. I don't mind it at all. I think I think the Bucks defense is massively underrated. Underrated. Uh, maybe people have like that 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 burning picture of them getting burned against the Rams in the in the in the, the, the NFC playoffs last year, where they completely blew a coverage, and a lot of people blamed it on Todd Bowles, myself included. But it really looked like Todd Bowles came out and really switched things up defensively against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. I know Dak got hurt at the end there, but. I was really impressed with what I saw. And despite all the offensive line injuries, despite losing Godwin again, despite losing all these other guys, these little knickknack injuries, uh, you know, Antonio Brown no longer with the team, obviously no more Gronk, et cetera, et cetera. I still picked the Bucs to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> and when I came down to me, I picked the Bucs over the Bills. I, I just thought with Tom Brady still there, with Mike Evans still there, with Fournette, and with this defense, like they have a ton of talent on the defensive line from top to bottom through their secondary too. And, and I, I just, again, I think people are underrating their secondary to a massive degree. So I, I'm definitely with you on the Jameis Winston under there. I like where you're headed with that one. Touchdown prop value for me, uh, it, it's it's tough because, again, we just don't know the status of some of these guys. But, I mean, I, I'd be looking at – I know you kind of I know you kind of dogged my guy, Brashad Perriman, a little bit. But he actually led the team in air yards, unrealized air yards, almost 100 last week. And if we're going to get no Godwin, if Gage is still banged up, if Mike Evans – is going to be dealing with Lattimore all game. Uh, you know, little, little tiny sliver of a pizza bet, plus 750 on Brashad Perriman to score a touchdown. If we get any props on him, maybe that could be worth. I, I think he's definitely like a good – if you're if you're in the Millie Maker tournament on DraftKings and like you need to hit like that 0.1% outcome in terms of a ceiling, you want to throw a Tom Brady in a stack with Brashad Perriman. I think that's where I'm headed kind of with that, that he, if he could literally serve as the team's third wide receiver – in this game. So we'll, we'll wait to see the status on gauge because of that and kind of figure it out from there. But I do think there could be some value there as well, because we have seen him have success in this offense uh, in the past. I really like what I saw at a Jarvis Landry sleep. I'm not sure what to do with it just yet, but he had nine targets. He was actually being used as a down the field threat, which is pretty weird. And that was the reason why we didn't like Michael Thomas coming into the year is because these are both slot receivers by trade, by experiencing the NFL. And how are they both going to play on the field at the same time? Well, what they did was they kept Michael Thomas in the slot and they ran Jarvis Landry as the primary boundary receiver in this offense. He pretty much did what I thought Chris Olave was going to do. Jarvis Landry had a 40-yard catch, seven catches, 114 yards on nine targets to lead the team. Michael Thomas, eight targets. Next highest was Jawan Johnson, Johnson, the tight end, with five targets as well. So I, I definitely think that's something to link it, look into where you can get a guy like Jarvis Landry in a game where they could be trailing once again plus 115 over four and a half catches. Definitely something uh, that I'm looking at for my card for Jarvis, Land- Jarvis Landry and the Saints in week two. And I think that that's one of the things that that kind of made me feel pretty good about Jameis is the fact that, go back to last week, he was in like a pass first offense last week. I mean, they were down two touchdowns to Atlanta. I don't see him being down two touchdowns here to, you know, to the Bucks. I mean, the line's only two and a half and they are playing at home. So I think they'll actually play a little bit better. But Going circling back to Gage, I read the report on him. He actually ended up with that hamstring tag going into week one, and they said that he was perfectly fine, practiced, played through the game, that it was more of just a, one of those deals where they had to put him on the injury report. So there was no report saying that he tweaked it or, or anything like that um, throughout the week. So 
uh, everything that I read was optimistic that he was perfectly fine and that he's going to play. It's just they have that, you know, injury tag destination on him. So uh, I do want to go ahead and bring that up. Uh, with that said, let's go and let's jump over to the Panthers at the Giants. Uh, Giants minus one and a half, total 43 and a half. I'm not sure if you'll like this one, Chris, but I'm going to take a shot here with Richie James to score a touchdown at plus 310. Uh, you have to be a little bit encouraged, you know, heading into this game that Richie James will actually see targets based on uh, last week's result. James, he was the most targeted wide receiver on the Giants. Giants really turned to, you know, turned to Barkley to go ahead and carry the load. Jones just 21 passing attempts last week, and Jones attempts uh, props this week actually are, are up quite a bit, 29 and a half. So I think that could actually benefit somebody like James here as well, who, in my opinion, is a sneaky wide receiver option here for the Giants. And to get him at plus 310, you know, with the usage that I saw from last week, I was like, what the hell, why not? No, I hit a 3-1 to one last week with uh, with Mariota. I think I have a good chance to hit another one here. And the Panthers' secondary, um, it's it's not scary. Like, I, I think we'll see some points in this game. So, went ahead, did that. Richie James scored a touchdown plus 310. Not sure you feel good about that, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I mean, he was the number one receiver in week one. And we'll, we'll see how Kadarius Tony is – how long is he going to stay in the doghouse for, uh, you know, with this team. And obviously – he was the number one in terms of being the highest drafted wide receiver for the Giants during the offseason by a mile. A lot of people, a lot of people were high on him, myself included. Uh, had him as like a pretty solid, like you know, back end wide receiver too, in in terms of being in that range of like the twenty fifth, thirtieth receiver off the board. But we'll see. It's still early. Uh, obviously, he's in the doghouse. He was only on the he only he touched the ball three times on rushing attempts. He actually looked really good with the ball in his hands, just like he did last year. It just seems like this guy comes with a lot of headaches and doesn't seem like the new coaching staff is willing to put up with it just yet. Maybe they give him another chance. Kind of similar similar vibes to how Brandon Ayuk got in the doghouse early last year with San Francisco. Finally worked his way out of it towards the end of the year. I think similar talent, similar situation with, with Tony this year. We'll see how long it lasts, but... Uh, until that happens, then Richie James will pretty much operate as the team's number one wide receiver. Good prospect profile a couple of years back. Has always been a pretty good talent, just kind of buried on depth charts here and there. Never really got a big opportunity to shine that much. But uh, I think when you're looking at a guy that could be the number one receiver on a team and he's plus 310 to score a touchdown, I, I definitely don't think that's terrible odds. Uh, I'm not really seeing too much that pops off the board for me there uh, in, in that market. But, you know, for me – this is a game where, you know, Barkley's set for another massive workload. And I think that what we saw in week one was that the Giants were fully willing to give the reins of the offense to a Saquon Barkley, where Christian McCaffrey, you know, not so much. I, you know, Baker Mayfield has never really been the type of quarterback that likes to check down a lot to running backs. And I think that's something that maybe a lot of us overlooked heading into week one and throughout the entire offseason. We just automatically assume that Christian McCaffrey's the guy, he's going to get 10, 15 targets a game, and then but you know what? You get your quarterback in there, and Baker Baker Mayfield is an aggressive thrower. He likes to throw the ball down the field. He, he likes to spread it out to his receivers. He likes to spread it out to all the options on his team, period. So I'm a little bit worried about Christian McCaffrey in terms of like just things, uh, assuming target shares, assuming the volume he's had in years past. Uh, I, I'm, I might still be looking to his unders uh, again for week two. I actually think there's a good value, uh, Sleepy, on Saquon Barkley head-to-head total rushing receiving yards over McCaffrey. Uh, you just look at the workload, uh, whether it was running the ball or receiving the or catching the ball. Barkley was far ahead of McCaffrey in both those categories. And frankly, he's younger. 
he has a better build in terms of having a bigger size and frame than McCaffrey has. And it's a coaching staff that's already shown themselves willing to give him that, that, that workhorse load. So I think this, this should at least be flipped the other way where Barkley's minus 120 and McCaffrey's minus 110, uh, or maybe even further down, maybe like Barkley minus 140. I, I definitely think there's some value here. That That's one prop that really jumped off to me right away off the board. Well, I think probably something that is beneficial to you here is that last week, you know, the, the Giants had to end up facing the Titans and, uh, you know, the, and you have Derrick Henry on the other side, and they actually held that team to like 3.6 yards per carry. I, I didn't even break 100 yards. So, you know, if you have, you know, a Giants defense that can go ahead and bear down on McCaffrey, you know, I, I think that you certainly have a good shot to go ahead and hit that one. I wouldn't rule out McCaffrey, you know, for this game. I think a lot of that goes down to probably just Baker looking the way that he looked last week. Chris, like, I get it, dude. Like, I think that there's talent there, and, and I was really high on him, but – you know, you were talking to me last year about him, like, oh, you know, you're you're Baker fanboy, this, that, and the other. And you know what? Yeah, like I I thought he was better than what he is, but he's not any better than average. And he was not anything near average last week for three and a half quarters. So I really worry what they do with Baker right now. And look, I get it. It was the first game of the year, you know, new players, whole new system, probably a lot of nerves, you know, going up against his former team and things like that. But for, for McCaffrey to only have that many touches, you know, in the backfield and then that many catches, it was just like, dude, like they got to go back maybe to the old game plan and just look to go ahead and get the ball to McCaffrey. I mean, we saw what he did when he touched the ball last week. I mean, he was breaking tackles and juking and moving. I'll tell you what, and this is something that you alerted me to a, a long time ago, like one of the best pure running backs in the league. And you, you said it was Chubb. And I was like, okay, cool. And I, dude, I'm watching that guy. Like he can juke and jive, dude, and, and, and cruise. McCaffrey's kind of the same way. Like he, he has a lot of the same moves. Like he's he's very good too. Underutilized last week. So I don't know. I, I would be a little cautious to probably fade McCaffrey, but I wouldn't fade him maybe in that head to head. Um, just because of, you know, what I see from the from the Giants rush defense, you know, maybe able to go ahead, you know, and hold him down. If they could hold, you know, Derrick Henry down, dude, they could certainly hold McCaffrey down. But uh just kind of just my thoughts overall on that. How about, you know, wide receivers though, you know, with the Panthers? I was Thinking about DJ Moore a little bit, I think maybe he might get a big, a big, uh, a big push this week. Not sure how you feel about him or any of the Panthers wide receivers. Yeah, for for me, you know, DJ Moore over five and a half receptions, I would lean that way, but not at minus one seventy. So that's a stay away for me. Robbie Anderson, on the other hand, I mean, look, you know, he caught the long touchdown for Baker Mayfield, but we already heard reports during the preseason that there was legitimate uh, reason for optimism behind Robbie Anderson and the chemistry that he was showing in practices with Baker Mayfield. So in a pretty tough matchup against Cleveland, you know, we did see Robbie Anderson and Baker Mayfield show that connection. And it wasn't just in the long play for 75 yards. It was the fact that Robbie Anderson had eight targets and DJ Moore had six. So I'm not going to be running to play the overs on any of these guys. And again, like I agree with you, I don't want to fade McCaffrey, so to speak, but McCaffrey had five targets and 10 carries, right? So that's 15 basically potential touches overall uh, in that offense there. And you you look at a similar game script to how it played out with the Giants and the Titans. Barkley had 18 carries and overall he had seven targets. That's 25 to 15 potential potential touches. Even if we get a little bit of regression positively for McCaffrey and negatively for Barkley, Barkley's also the bigger play threat. He's the bigger play threat to, to, to rip off big runs. He ran very effectively. And when we saw 
how Chubb ran against this offense last week, tore him up for 140-plus yards. Definitely could see uh, Barkley breaking off some big runs in this game. So the more I look at it, that one stands out to me where it's like I don't have to bet McCaffrey under, and I don't have to bet Barkley over. I just got to bet Barkley to beat McCaffrey head-to-head. So I feel like that's kind of the, the more comfortable way I feel about going about that one. But I'm staying away from the Panthers receivers. Uh, I think it's still – Giants have a halfway decent you know defense, but nothing I'm too scared of. I just don't know Baker's preferences. Like, just reminds me of those Cleveland days. We kept waiting for him to have that chemistry with OBJ. It never happened. And Baker never had that number one guy he was throwing the ball to. It just seems like it changed every single week. And that's what worries me in terms of going to CMC, going to Robbie, going to Moore. Uh, That's my concern for the Panthers offense in terms of betting on one of them for an over or even playing them in DFS for week two. Well, I think you brought that all the way back around full circle. You know, when you bring up Chubb and what he did, you know, to the Panthers and it makes sense. I, I feel like after we talked through this game, Chris, that you got the best bet you know, for this, for this game with going ahead and probably playing Barkley, you know, over McCaffrey. Uh, with that said, let's go. Let's jump into our next game here. We got the Colts, and they'll be on the road here uh, in Jacksonville. Colts will be a favorite here on the road, minus three. We have a total of 45 and a half. Chris, I'm going to go back to a winner that I had last week, and I'm going to go down and play Michael Pittman to score a touchdown uh, at plus 135. He cashed it for us last week, so uh, why the hell not? I'm doing it again. And I said this a few times already that he might actually end up leading like the AFC in targets this year. You know, he had 13 last week and a touchdown. Uh, I don't I don't see that change in this week, not against the Jaguars. I'll just keep playing them until, you know, they probably go ahead and adjust the odds. And last week, Chris, I got plus 105 for him to score a touchdown. Now, DraftKings has minus 105, but FanDuel plus 135. So I'm getting value here. I'm getting more value than I had last week. And I feel like I have a better matchup. Like the Colts didn't look all that great last week. Like I felt... I want to, I don't want to say fortunate that I got in the end zone, but again, I don't think that this Colts team is really more than a two horse team when you look at Taylor and you look at Pittman. So I could see him going to Pittman a lot in this one. The fact that I can get plus one thirty five, a better number than I got last week, and I won. I got to go ahead and grab that. Yeah, I, I don't mind uh, being bullish on Michael Pittman at all. He, he was absolutely fantastic. I had him ranked way ahead of ADP. I, I know our guy Dan Rivera loved that one for sure, be, being the Colts homer that he is, but it was for good reason. Pittman showed the talent. Uh, he has the role in the offense. He's already gelled with Matt Ryan. And he really, the, the key thing about Pittman, you got to remember here, is that he has absolutely zero competition for targets in this offense. And you could wind up seeing Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, both of them be close to being second or third in the target pecking order in this passing game. So definitely don't mind that at all. I don't think – and again, like you said, shop around. I'm just looking personally at the DraftKings board for this podcast, but by the time we start digging in, I'm going to be putting my player props column together. I'm going to be putting our official uh, Discord props together for the weekend. I'll be shopping around you know, a dozen or more books at a time to find the best line for all these props that we're talking about that we'll wind up making our best bets card. So I like that at, at Pittman, especially at plus money. Um, that's, that's the benefit there, shopping around. I really want to look at the Jags uh, receivers for this game. I, I think we saw actually a pretty concentrated pecking order between Christian Kirk, Zay Jones uh, on the outside and Christian Kirk in the slot. And right now, Zay Jones over three and a half receptions is uh, minus 140 on DraftKings and make sure obviously to shop around for that. But for a guy who got nine targets, who's going to be going and, and uh, six catches off those nine targets going into another negative game script we saw Brandon Cooks as the outside boundary receiver for the Houston Texans last week have a big game with 12 targets himself so 
that's a guy I'm definitely looking at. I picked him up in quite a few leagues off the waiver wire this past week in Zay Jones. Like he could be the number one deep threat for Trevor Lawrence. Still a younger guy who, again, like similar to how we talked about Robbie Anderson, there were strong preseason reports out of Jaguars camp that Zay Jones is really flashing, just as there were on Christian Kirk. But the problem is with Christian Kirk, you got to bet over five and a half catches, and, and that's starting to get up there for me. So I really wish I would have bet Christian Kirk last week over four and a half. Um, and I'm not saying I'm totally discounting over five and a half. I, I just think it's a little bit too much after just one week to go there. But Zay Jones is definitely somebody I have uh, my eye on overall. And the running back situation is tough too. I mean, James Robinson, you know, we, we don't know if it's still going to be more of a 50-50 split than what it was. Travis Etienne had some major gaffes in that game. And I just hope that they don't pull the plug on him and throw him in the doghouse too early because he had a costly fumble. He had a costly drop both in the red zone in that game. And that's when you saw the big reversal in terms of snaps and playing time in the second half, which where it was really 50-50 in the first half, maybe even a few more snaps for Etienne. In the second half, it was pretty much all James Robinson because of that. So you hope it's not a James Cook situation with the Bills. He comes out and fumbles, doesn't play the rest of the game. I don't think it's that case here, but I don't know what to what extent we're, we're going to see. Is it going to be more first-half Jags in this game, is, or is it going to be more second-half Jags? in this game. So that's kind of what I'm really anxious to see play out here. I know, I know you have an underplay sleepy on uh, or, or an overplay. I'm sorry on Etienne trying to uh, kind of take advantage of that situation uh, on his rushing and receiving yards. Yeah, I, I do actually, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play uh play ETN over his rushing yards. You know, what's funny though, as you were talking about Pittman, right? So your buddy comes over, right? My, your buddy Donnie Dice comes over to my house and he's like, I'm fading Pittman. I don't have him in any lineup this week. He's going to end up being a bust. Everybody's talking about Pittman, Pittman, Pittman. He's like, I'm tired of it. I'm like, all right, cool, or whatever. And he's like, you know who my number one guy is? I'm like, who? And he's like, my number one sleeper. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so I'm like throwing all these names out. No, 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 no. You know, you're not going to get it. I'm like, all right, cool. Who is it? He's like, Zay Jones. Like, where the hell you come up with Zay Jones? I'm like, he's a bum, right? So, so it's funny that you just bring up both of them and then you start talking about Zay Jones. That's funny though. He fades Pittman. So every time Zay Jones hit the board, Chris, and he and he did something good, the only thing I would the only thing I had to come back was, well, yeah, but you, you were fading Pittman. You're fading Pittman. So anyway, he towards the end of the day, he was drunk. He probably forgot, you know, that he, that he lost one and won one. But I think the odds makers are drunk, you know, with Travis Etienne. Look, his over rushing yards is twenty six and a half. The guy was drafted like he was, you know, certainly the number one running back on the team, but. I mean, there were guys who were who had to pick him up as their number one running back in fantasy. So I'm not going to go ahead and say that, you know, the guy. it's his first real NFL game. You're going to have some struggles. You know, it, it's going to happen. Yeah, you might have a drop. You might have a fumble. But I don't think that this is a situation like a James Cook situation. Like this guy was brought in to be the number one. And I'm not fully sold that that Robinson's even going to continue to go ahead and out-touch ETN, uh, especially this week. ETN ran for... You know, an average of 11.8 yards per carry last week. Robinson just six. I mean, six is still awesome, but still. Uh, ETN running the ball, you can't deny him. And, and, and you know, the uh, you know the relationship that he has with Trevor Lawrence, um, I think that that's a good thing. And he went way over this number last week on just four carries. You know, he, like I said, he's brand new to this to this offense. He might need a game or two. You know, he might need a couple, couple extra practices, you know, just to get comfortable. And, and look, I don't – if. The best thing possible is that they let him play and they let him know, hey, it's okay, dude. You know, it's we're the Jags and we haven't been that great for a long time. But, you know, if he doesn't touch the ball nine or ten times in the rushing game this week, 
I would actually be quite surprised. This number is just way too low. I think the odds makers are drunk. I think it's a way overreaction. And he can come into this game. I think he can, you know, potentially shut everybody up. So over 26 and a half rushing yards for ETN. I don't like that one. I love it. Um, that's one of my better bets of the week. So I'm, I'm all over that one. I like it. I like to hear that. All right. So with that said, let's go. Let's jump over to Washington at Detroit. Lions minus one and a half. Total 48 and a half. I think you'll be with me on this one, Chris. DeAndre Swift plus 105 to score a touchdown. Um, I'm I'm actually surprised that it's not minus money here. Swift ran like like a man possessed last week against a Philly de- rush defense that has been very very good uh, for years. 15 carries, 144 yards, and a touchdown. I think he gets in there again. He ran for 9.6 yards per carry. And he was really the main reason why the Lions were able to go ahead and keep pace with the Eagles last week. Commander's rush defense last week wasn't really all that great. They allowed the Jags, as we just talked about, to run for 6.8 yards per carry. So uh, another good day could probably be in order here for Swift. So I think he hits pay dirt for sure. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take him at plus 105. I thought for sure that this would be like minus 130, somewhere in that area. And it's not, so I'm taking it. Swift looked really, really good, so... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go ahead and, and, and probably stay away from that guy. So that's what I'll do for my touchdown prop. I, I like that. Um, I was actually looking at some similar, which is basically just taking DeAndre Swift rushing yards over over sixty one and a half. You mentioned it. The efficiency we saw from a rookie running back. Well, not, you know, Etienne's not a rookie. It was like you said, it was his first real game in the NFL, and a running back literally six months removed from an Achilles tear. And they both ran wild against this same Washington Commanders defense in terms of the run game. So Swift, you know, towards the end of last year, he really turned around in terms of his efficiency running the ball. He had a couple games where he was like getting 30 plus carries and he didn't necessarily last. Like he got banged up. They were losing. So they decided to bench him for the last couple games. But if he would have played in those games, like he would have been on a tear to close the year. And probably would have, probably would have seen his ADP go into the first round, where I suppose like he was really being drafted as like a mid second round pick this year, maybe early second round at best. Uh, so that's my thoughts on Swift. It's like I know we think of him as the pass catching guy, but like as a pure runner, his explosiveness is like off the charts right now. So I really like the over sixty one and a half rushing yards for Swift in this matchup here. I, I the, the Lions' offensive line is very good. And they're getting guys back on the line this week that they didn't have last week. And they're getting an even better matchup. So I know Swift missed a couple practices this week. I I think we're actually going to see that every single week with Swift. I don't think he's going to practice most weeks until late Thursday or even Friday in most cases. So I wouldn't worry unless like there's actual real quotes coming out of camp saying that, you know, he's, he might miss some time. Uh, Jamal Williams happened to get more, goal line touches than Swift but that was because they were literally right after Swift had ripped off like a 30 40 yard run and he was gassed and they took him out and he he's the reason that they were there in the first place so I I I saw a couple people tweeting about Jamal Williams I I would really pump the brakes on that where literally Williams was only there in the game because Swift was dead tired after running 50 straight yards at a full sprint so I really like Swift and what I saw in week one like you said again against a solid Philadelphia defense and that was the game where they were trailing, and he still had 15 carries for 144 yards. You even take out the 50-yard run that he had that, that I just mentioned, you're still talking about 14 carries for 94 yards. Uh, I, I think that number is definitely 
too low. And we're still, we still have that stigma of him being mostly a pass catching back uh, in this offense. So on, on a similar side, Sleepy, you know, I, I really like what I saw of Antonio Gibson in week one. I, I put out a real big Twitter thread on him once the Brian Robinson unfortunate news came out. And it was basically like, hey, look, Gibson was a guy getting close to 30 potential touches a game last year uh, uh, for Washington when McKissick got hurt. And we're like, well, McKissick's starting to get a little old now as a, as a, as a third down pass catching specialist. And, you know, maybe they just want to run Gibson as much as they can to see what they can get out of him because he kind of fell in the doghouse in the preseason. But you look at week one usage, 14 rushes, he had eight targets. He was second on the team in targets, only behind 11 from Curtis Samuel. Seven catches, 72 yards. McKissick, just three targets. You absolutely got to love that usage for Antonio Gibson. Look, man, maybe Robinson comes back sooner than later. And he takes a few touches away from Gibson. But the way Gibson played in the passing game and was trusted in the passing game in week one, uh, I really like uh, you know where, where things are headed for him, uh, especially in a similar type of matchup here, Washington versus Jacksonville, Washington versus Detroit. Like what's really the big difference here in terms of defensive matchup? I don't know. So I would definitely look towards Antonio Gibson playing the overs on his receiving, uh, receiving yards and receptions again here uh, week two. Definitely in strong consideration for my best bets card. I'll tell you what, man. I went ahead. I drafted Gibson in multiple leagues that I had just because I thought that he would fly up the draft board after the whole Robinson situation broke out. And it is like there was a lot of value there for me, I, I thought. So I was really happy to see what he did last week. Let me swing back to something because you were talking about the doghouse before and you were talking about Kadarius Tony. I don't know if you guys saw the interviews that this guy did, but I'll tell you what, Chris, like I don't think he's long for this league or let alone the Giants. Like I don't be shocked if we see him get dealt. And I see like there's a lot of talent there, but he seems like a head case, dude. Like there's just something not right with that guy. I don't know if he's just, you know, too young and too mature, immature or something like that, but worrisome so but don't be shocked if you see him in the doghouse again here's one that i do want to go ahead and give out though chris i want to give out under on curtis samuel 40 and a half receiving yards he seems like he's everybody's sweetheart this week coming in you know from the fantasy football world and i've seen people spend 40 50 percent of their fab dollars you know just to go ahead and get him all pissed off about you know alan robinson they're trying to pick this guy up and i get it dude you know hey nice week 11 catches or 11 targets eight catches 55 yards that worries me a little bit, but what doesn't worry me was his 6.9 yards per catch. And his biggest catch, you know, of the eight that he had was only for 13 yards. So, you know, take a look at what McLaurin did. He only had four targets last week and two catches like that. I don't think that's going to continue. Dotson showed up in a pretty big way. You know, he ended up having two nice touchdowns. The targets do worry me. I mean, I can't say that they don't. 11 targets, it's great. I mean, maybe it's a guy you want to pick up. I don't know if you want to spend half your fab, though. But the route run depth is not worrisome. I mean, the, the guy's 6.9 yards per catch. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to fade everybody and their mother in this one. Everybody loves Curtis Samuel. I get it. He had a nice game, dude. But, you know, at 40 and a half receiving yards, I'm playing that under. Yeah, I, I don't mind the reasoning there in terms of fading that, especially with the short area targets uh, uh, as well. It's 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 I at the same time I, I wouldn't mind looking at the over for his receptions, just because of the role he's playing. You know, he could have five catches for twenty yards. Like that's the type of role that he plays in this offense here. So I, I definitely like where you're headed with that one. I, I did have the over three and a half catches circled because he did have those eleven targets, but the yardage is definitely going to be hard to come by for him. Even though the matchup is pretty good on paper here against Detroit. 
Uh, an under that I like in this game uh, before we wrap this game up is, and you got to pay a lot of big on this, but I, I, I do like this is Josh Reynolds under uh, two and a half catches minus one ninety five. So you got you got to basically lay two units to win one unit. I probably lay a unit to win a half unit on this. Just keep it to a half unit risk bet. Uh, but you know you're talking about a guy that's literally tied for fifth at best in targets on this team behind DeAndre Swift, Hawkins, and Shark Brown. You got to look at the fact that. Shark is just played in his first game with the team. He's going to develop more rapport with Jared Goff. Uh, DeAndre Swift's going to get more work in the passing game, you'd think, than more than three targets as well. Jamal Williams, only two targets. Reynolds had one catch for 28 yards on three targets. So he's going to like maybe get a couple shots down the field. You really got to bank on efficiency. So a guy that had one catch and just three targets, and we're, we just need him to have two catches or less, uh, I, I think that's a good bet there. And I'm surprised to see a guy with such little role on his team uh, lined at that because he's not even going to be on the field unless they're running three receiver sets or he's filling in for a DJ Shark on the outside. You're going to see Shark. You're going to see Amon Ross St. Brown. You're going to see Hawkinson. You know, you're only going to see Reynolds when they do those three, four wide sets. So I, I, I kind of like the value there, even though it's, it is my, minus 195. My numbers will put that closer to like a minus 250, minus 260 type of bet. So that's, so that, that, that's the w- one extra area I'm looking at for this game. Yeah, you were right on a lot of those. Um... A lot of those lines, guys. You know what you were right on, though, Chris? And I got to give you credit. Credit where credit's due. Chris went ahead and he took, uh, if you guys remember the podcast, he ended up taking A.J. Dillon uh, over his rushing and receiving yards. I had to call him a chicken 30 times to get him to do it, but he eventually did it, and he ended up uh, he ended up winning. So he won the first head-to-head, but now we actually have a way where we can actually make some bets. So I do want to go ahead and tell you guys about this thing that Chris found. And it's actually pretty cool. It's called Bro Throw. Um, how many times have you guys wanted to bet, you know, with your friends? And, you know, I, w- I want to bet with Chris. I want to bet with this one. And I'm guessing we all probably should have our hands raised that we all like to bet with our friends. But n- now we can do it legally. You can do it in any state. Uh, you know, if you want to bet your dad because he thinks he knows it all about sports betting and he, and he wants to test the sports betting skills against you. Now you could actually make him go ahead, buck up and pay you. When he loses, you, you don't need a bank account. Bro throw is not a sports book. There's no vig. There's no juice. Better simply pay each other and they pay him directly. It's very simple. Actually, just go to bro throw. You guys could sign up. It's free. It literally takes seconds and then boom, you know, you're right in there, right in the action. Again, the saving on the juice alone will save you a bundle, It'll save you a ton. Plus, I think the best thing about the entire thing is there's no middleman. It's, you know, me versus Chris and, you know, winner gets paid. And BroThrow is the only sports betting platform in the industry that lets you bet directly with your friends, and they don't even take a cut. So, guys, do yourself a favor. If you want to bet with your friends, throw out your first bet and go to BroThrow.com backslash BPNFL and use code BPNFL. BroThrow is free to sign up. Cut out the middleman and start betting on BroThrow. That's BroThrow.com slash BPNFL. All right, Chris, let's go. Ahead. Let's jump into our next game here. Uh, let's talk about the Falcons at the Rams. Rams going to be a double digit favorite here at home. Rams minus 10, uh, total 46 and a half. Uh, here's one of my least favorite touchdown props there, Chris, for this card. I'm going to go ahead and I'll play Kyle Pitts plus 250 to go ahead and score a touchdown. Uh, this one is on FanDuel. Pitts and London last week both had seven targets. I expect the Falcons to probably be trailing quite a bit in this game, so I think Mariota's going to need to throw. You know, Pitts, big target, plays like a wide receiver or a tight end, whatever you need him to be. 
Uh, what's interesting is that, you know, Cam Akers, who barely even played last week, and Al Robinson only had two catches, are actually listed above him in the touchdown odds. I don't I don't understand that. Pitts is like the number one option for the Falcons. I think this is just mispriced. Uh, I would probably say maybe plus 180, somewhere in that area. DK actually has him right now to score a touchdown at just plus 205, so you're getting some extra value here uh, if you bet this on FanDuel. So that's what I'm going to do there, Chris. I don't love it at all, but you know to go ahead and, and give out a touchdown prop for every game, I'll take Kyle Pitts plus 250 to go ahead and score a touchdown. Yeah, I, I would actually uh, – I'm looking at two Falcons players too. I think there's some decent value on uh, – I would look first at Mariota. I mean, you hit that last week. That was definitely a good call. And, you know, there's a good chance that if Mariota – as many games as Mariota starts this year, he could easily run the ball more rushing attempts and more rushing yards than Lamar Jackson. Think about that for a second. That's firmly within the realm of possibilities here just after week one of the 2022 season. So – I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that one last week. It's still plus 235. With this pass rush that the Rams still have with Aaron Donald up front, Mariota could be running for his life. And you know what? Mariota does a pretty good job when he runs for his life and he scrambles as long as he stays healthy. He's shown to be a good running quarterback in the NFL. So I, I like the value there again. And the fact that Damian Williams actually was starting that game as the lead running back, left very early with a rib injury, I believe. And he's already been ruled out for week two. So it's going to be Cordell or Patterson again, but they really don't have depth behind Patterson. It's going to be, you know, Tyler Aguero, we talked about him. I think we took him on one of our best ball teams during the offseason. And, you know, he's a he's a talented rookie, but he was still a healthy scratch in week one. He's going to be active most likely this week. Uh, the question is, like, is he going to have any type of a role? My guess would be more towards the no side of that. And that would make me think that, they're going to lean very heavily again on Patterson, who had 20-plus rushing attempts. And then Mariota, again, who against the Saints in that game, even in a game where the Falcons were playing for a lot of that game with a lead, Mariota 12 carries for 72 yards. I mean, that, that's pretty good rushing volume for a quarterback in that type of game script there. And it's very similar to the numbers that Mariota has put up in previous stops, where he also played with Arthur Smith in Tennessee as well. So we still have that connection there, too, to keep things consistent and correlated in terms of our past history. So because of that, like that's one of the props I overlooked in week one that I definitely am liking for week two, which is Mariota over 32 and a half rushing yards. I know the line went up a lot last week. It was in the twenties. Uh, I still think there's value there based on the volume we saw in week one, based on the fact that he could be running for his life again with the pressure from the Rams in week two, we only need him to get less than half of what he got last week. And I definitely think that's more than viable uh, in the style we've seen him play out with Arthur Smith in the past. So I like uh, Marcus Mariota over the 32 and a half rushing yards. I, I really wish I could have played another Cam Akers under here, not on the board whatsoever. We'll see Sean McVay. Like, I, I think that I've heard comments about Sean McVay this week saying like, oh, well, maybe he's going to give Akers another shot because he's saying that Akers, he talked to him this week. What I think's happening is that, you know, I, I've worked in the media as a beat reporter for way back in the day, hence the mad journalist Twitter handle. And, uh, what I'm thinking is happening is that McVay's just getting questions nonstop about Akers all week because it was such a surprise Akers barely played that he's forced to make comments about Akers and he's not going to just dog his own guy. So I think he's just trying to say as many positive things as possible. But from what his actions showed us in week one with a fully healthy Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson was the workhorse back in this offense. And I, I don't, I don't anticipate that changing. Maybe it does. I'm going to bet that it doesn't. So I really would love to bet some unders on Cam Akers. Unfortunately, that's not available anymore. 
Uh, Daryl Henderson, I, I'm 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 really high in him this week. Sleepy, I considered him as the poster boy child for my for my rankings article for week two. I've got Daryl Henderson right now ranked number nine overall for week two. I've got him sandwiched right in between James Conner and Leonard Fournette. I've got him 11 spots ahead of ECR. I mean, against the Falcons, which doesn't really have a good defense and a positive game script for a team coming off a loss, an embarrassing loss in the Rams, we could see a hefty workload for Daryl Henderson in a plus matchup and plus game script here. So I I really like Daryl Henderson a lot. I definitely would look towards his overs in terms of his rushing yards and his rushing attempts. Like even in a negative game script, we saw him carry the ball 13 times against the Bills on Thursday Night Football last week. So, you know, that's something where you're looking at the line now. It's only 14 and a half. And that was a game they were losing 31 to 10 by the end. So, I, so at plus 105 for over 14 and a half rushing attempts, that would be the number one place I'd go to bet on uh, Daryl Henderson to resume that workload in week two. All right. I do want to ask you about a different game, a different player that we didn't really bring up a whole lot about. But, you know, you're talking about a lot of players here. But what about Michael Thomas? Like, what do you make of him? Like, I think he's going to make your your poster board for your – for your rankings article. I thought that he had a pretty good week. I didn't expect, like, I was worried he might not even play. You know, what did you make of Michael Thomas? Like, should we be optimistic? Do we need one more week to like, you know, take a look at him and be like, all right, cool. Like, you know, if he ends up with like eight catches this week at some point, cause I ended up having him on my bench. Like I was pissed. I was like, come on, dude. Like I get it. I know the talent's there, but we haven't seen anything from him for two years. Like, if he ends up with like eight catches this week, what are you personally going to do with him? I can't do anything with him because I didn't draft a single share of Michael Thomas in any of my teams. But what I will say is that, you know, I think he was okay to bench in week one. And he really, he only ended up with five catches for 57 yards. Like you, you're never going to, as a fantasy manager, you're never going to predict the touchdowns, especially from a wide receiver. So he had a great fantasy week because he scored two touchdowns. He didn't have a great fantasy week because he got eight targets five catches 57 yards I came away from that game more impressed with Jarvis Landry Jarvis Landry being featured as the primary outside receiver and leading that team with nine targets 114 yards him being a younger player a less injured player than Thomas so Thomas looks like he's right back in the slot role I don't know how prolific of a role that's going to be with Winston at quarterback but I mean, if you drafted him with the price tag that he had, I think you got a pretty good value there. I think he could definitely be a solid wide receiver two, maybe more of like a high-end wide receiver three flex play moving forward. But, you know, obviously wouldn't be surprised to see him get into that wide receiver two mold again. I don't think he's ever going to be a top 12 option again uh, in this offense with this quarterback. But I, I was I was happy for the guy. I didn't think he was going to play either, but he finally got out there and uh, hopefully he stays out there. But that, that's kind of my overall takeaway is that, you know, DFS wise and DraftKings, like I think full PPR formats, he might be valuable to play. But uh, you know, yeah, that, that that's pretty much where it's at. It's it's looking like I think Chris Olave is going to get more of a role in that offense too. So I think as the season goes along, and Kamara is going to get more targets as well. So I, I think that it's still going to be hard pressed for me to see Thomas being a consistent every week starter in fantasy moving forward. All right, good stuff there. I'm curious if you want to make a bet with me that Jarvis Landry is younger than Michael Thomas. Do you want to bet me on that? Because you said he was older. I must have had that wrong. I feel like Jarvis Landry is like five years younger than Thomas, but I could be absolutely wrong on that one. No, he's he's certainly older. I do want to go ahead and ask you this, Chris, because I don't think you'll buck this one. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play, and this is one of my favorite props of the week. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Matt Stafford under 36 and a half passing attempts. 
does Stafford really need to throw the ball 37 times being a 10-point favorite? And look, give credit where credit's due. The Falcons played tough last week. I don't think anybody really saw that type of a game coming. But I don't want to say that everybody's completely wrong on this Falcons team. They were at home. They, they probably had everything scripted out. But now they're going on the road against a Rams team that lost. And the Rams are a 10-point favorite here. The Rams are going to be salty. That defense, it got carved up. Give credit to Josh Allen and, and the boys in, in Buffalo and – they, they ran that team into the ground. But that Rams defense is going to be pissed. And I think that the Falcons are going to have a lot of trouble probably scoring uh, touchdowns this week. And I don't see Stafford needing to go ahead and throw the ball 37 times in that game. If they're up, you know, 10, 10 points, look, I think they're going to look to run. And a lot of that might actually come, believe it or not, Cam Akers might actually be a beneficiary because maybe they can get him into the game because, you know, they're not down. Um, you know, by 40 points or something like that. But look, I don't see Stafford throwing the ball 37 times in this game. Cooper Cup is pretty much unguardable. And if he gets loose a couple of times, the Rams could run the score up quick. And look, I think it's keep Stafford healthy, keep him clean and, and you know, get the hell out of Dodge and, and take care of the Falcons and, and be done with it. It just doesn't line up for a monster game for me with, with Stafford. So Stafford under 36 and a half passing attempts. I love that one. I like that one a lot too. It goes right into the whole Daryl Henderson about betting him over rushing attempts, rushing yards, et cetera. That's definitely what I'm looking at for this game. Uh, that one thing that we haven't, you know, we, I, I kind of glossed over cause I was looking more at the Mariota props just to start off this handicap, but <clears throat> head to head props here. And it fits into just what, you, what I said about Henderson, what you just said about Stafford with this possible game script here, big favorites, motivated Rams team is the head to head market. And we're looking at a, a negative game script for the Falcons, which means that they're going to be trailing and they're going to throw more and positive game script for the Rams, which means they're going to be leading and they're going to possibly pass less as the game goes on. That all leads me back to Allen Robinson. And look, like I don't think every week we're going to see just one catch from Allen Robinson. I'm sure he's going to bounce back. I, I, I didn't draft a single share of him this year in fantasy. And I still feel pretty good about that, obviously, but I think he'll bounce back. I don't think he's going to have more production than Drake London, though, in week two. Uh, Jalen Ramsey did not grade out well in week one against Buffalo, and he's never been a cornerback that shadows either, so it's not like he's going to be lined up against Drake London in this game. What we did see is Kyle Pitts be used as a blocker more than he was last year. We also saw Kyle Pitts be lined up against defensive backs again, just like last year. Like For some reason, Arthur Smith like refuses to line Kyle Pitts up against linebackers and safeties and put him in advantageous matchups. But Drake London, he was the leading guy. Like he was the he was the number in his first ever NFL game, NFL start, coming off a knee injury in the preseason. He was by far and away the number one receiver for the Falcons offense. Like I'm betting Drake London over Allen Robinson head-to-head receptions minus 105, head-to-head receiving yards plus 110. I'm betting Drake London head-to-head targets. You can bet head-to-head targets on DraftKings now over Allen Robinson, even money. I'm betting all three of those bets. That that's my best bet card for this game. Drake London. I'll put a half unit down on each, at least one and a half, half units on those total head-to-head market. London over Allen Robinson and everything for me for week two. All right. Here's my concern, right? And I love it and I get it. Here's my concern though, is that if you and I'm I know you you heard it too. Like turn on fantasy radio and who were they screaming about? They were screaming about Allen Robinson leaving them all in the dust. People were, you know, drafting them high and this, that, and the other. And 
he was all over the news and the fantasy people were all, they were selling their stock and they were throwing them away. And I get it. You know, the guy didn't produce anything really in week one, but when I mean, you got a guy like Cooper Cup out there, it's like, dude, you don't really need much else. I mean, that, that guy had one of the best receiving years in the history of the league. But here's what I do know is that when news circulates or a player complains, and I'm not saying that Robinson complained in any way, he might've just went in there and been super happy, you know, that they got their ass kicked. But the fact that he was brought on this team to help this team win and they got beat the way that they did. And his name was all over the news sources come Monday morning about, you know, how much of a non-factor dud he was. Um, There's a chance that I think that he actually could end up getting a decent amount of volume here, especially in this particular game. We saw this a while back with Robert Woods when it was Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. And look, dude, you can complain all you want, you know, if you're not getting targets on this team. But when Cooper Cup's doing what he's doing, just shut your mouth and, 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 and be quiet about it. But Robert Woods didn't, and he complained. And McVay turned around, and I think he threw the first 10 passes to Robert Woods uh, in that game immediately. Now, look, I don't think Robinson's going to say anything, dude. He's brand new to this team, but he might not even have to. Because everybody heard about how pissed off they were that he ended up having that type of a day. So maybe McVay goes ahead and he tries to get him some touches and, and things like that. Now, I was looking at his receiving yards over, but I would actually maybe look at his receptions over before I looked at his receiving yards over. I think that that might be the way to go because I remember the Robert Woods game where he ended up with all those touches. It was real quick screen passes. So unless Robinson could like shake and bake or something like that, he might not get the yardage. But I think he will get some real quick, easy touches just to get him the ball, just to calm down, you know, a lot of that negative news that was going on. But I'm with you, though. Drake London, dude, I mean, outside of Pitts, he, he's the number two option or the number one option. Like, that dude, that dude's a baller. So uh, I, I don't think he'll outproduce him in yards. I'm with you with that. But I do think that there is a pretty good chance Robinson goes over his catches. And, th- and that's why, again, like I'm looking at ways where like, I don't want to necessarily fade CMC. Like we talked about before, I don't necessarily want to fade Robinson, but I look at ceiling because I play a lot of DFS and ceiling is the most important thing you can factor in when it comes to, like, Hey, stacking correlation, ownership projections, all that stuff. You got to have the ceiling to win. The, if you're not playing, if you're playing these tournaments with the big prize pools, GPPs, et cetera, you got to look at the ceiling guys. And Drake London has the, has the ceiling, like five catches, 74 yards, nine targets in his first NFL game. Whereas Allen Robinson, yeah, I get it. Bounce back game, okay. But these guys have the exact same prop line. One has the better game script. One has the, one has the younger age. One has more targets under his belt, way more targets, and a bigger role already in his first NFL start. They're both lined the same, essentially. Allen Robinson's 51 and a half. Drake London's 50 and a half. Well, Drake London's juiced over minus 130. Allen Robinson's juice under minus 125. So you're essentially saying 50-50 bet. I'm getting plus 110 receiving yards for London. I'm getting minus 105 receptions. I'm getting even money for the targets. And again, like Cooper Cup's there, like you said, like that's always going to exist. Tyler Higby got 11 targets uh, as well in week one. So way less target competition for Drake London. I mean, they see, they got nobody on that receiving core outside of Drake London. Kyle Pitts, we're obviously counting him as a tight end. You're talking about Ola Mead Zacchaeus. And Brian Edwards had Brian Edwards had zero catches uh, on one target, and you can still bet him under thirteen and a half receiving yards. Like I'll still bet that this week. So like that's a guy that might never even be on the board the rest of the season again for the Atlanta Falcons. So those are the type of things that I'm looking at for this game here. Is like what did we see already? We saw a young ascending player with massive talent 
that had a great first game off a knee injury, knee injury that's only going to continue to demand more targets as the weeks uh, go on with Drake. Drake London, to me, is a buy in fantasy. It's not necessarily a buy low. He's just a straight-up buy. I want to get Drake London as many fantasy teams as I can moving forward. I love this guy's talent. I love the role that he's in. So definitely count me in as a backer uh, for him, too. So that's where I'm at uh, for this game overall. And I would say, Sleepy, if you like Allen Robinson over, like, why not bet Ben Skowernick under? Ben Skowernick, like, he's going to be the one that gets less volume if Allen Robinson gets extra targets to keep him happy. And Ben Skowernick is like a fringe third receiver at best. You know, we all know him for dropping those passes in the playoff last year for the Rams. You know, Van Jefferson's probably still going to miss another game. But Skowernick, you know, four catches for 25 yards on six targets. He had six targets and still went under this number last week in a game they were losing by 20 points. Now we're talking about more targets for Robinson in a game that the the Rams might be winning by 20 points. Like, how is Skowernick going to get to this number again? I just don't know. That'd be another under I'm definitely going to consider in this game. Skowernick under 31.5. Brian Edwards, basically one target, maybe no targets this game, under 13.5 receiving yards, both those unders too. I'll tell you what worries me about Skowernick is that it seems to me like when Stafford likes a guy, he's going to go to him over and over and over again. I mean, we saw that when he was in Detroit. You know, he picked his, his guy or two, and, and those guys just got so many targets. And, you know, I mean, Cup, yeah, I mean, he's the guy gets as many targets as, as anybody. But, you know, Higby getting as many targets as he did, I was like, man, I'm like, who else are they going to spread the ball to? And then when you look further down, they're like Skowernick's there with six targets. And then Robinson's down there, and it's like, uh-oh. You got to wonder if Stafford just doesn't have that, you know, that, that that thing with him. I mean, that that's possible. I mean, you never know. But anyway, enough talking about that game. Let's move on to our next. We still got a couple games left here, and we're we're running long. So let's go ahead and speed this up for you guys a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Seattle to be on the road here at San Fran. San Fran, a pretty big favorite here. San Fran minus nine. We have a total of forty and a half. Look, touchdown prop. I I searched a lot in this game here, Chris. San Fran, to me, they're just a mystery type of team right now, especially with the running back spot uh, with Mitchell going out. And now you bring Kittle in. You know, Geno Smith, might he show up? You know, might it, might he be the guy that he was last week, or is he going to be the guy that we all kind of know and love? So after I, I broke everything down, I'm looking at I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a dart here. I'm going to play San Fran defense to go ahead and score a touchdown here uh, at 5-1. to one. Uh, Look, Geno looked good last week, but – He's playing a tough defense here. He's going on the road, and it's only a matter of time before Geno Smith shows up, and I think that there's a a pretty good possibility he turns the ball over here. I can just envision San Fran scoop and score or pick six. I just envision it. I see it. I kind of feel it. So instead of trying to scrape around, trying to find another guy to get in the end zone, I I, I got 11 guys I can get in on San Fran defense. So give me that at 5-1. to I'll go ahead. I'll do that. And here's one that I like, Chris. I like this a lot, believe it or not. Trey Lance over 190 and a half passing yards. If he can't throw for 190 yards against this Seahawks team, then Jimmy G should be starting. He had 164 last week in a sloppy monsoon in Chicago. The San Fran backfield, it's now limited because there's no Mitchell. If this game is to you know unleash the passing attack, then it would not surprise me at all. I mean, he's going to be at home. Um, they're off of a loss, and they got to do something to go ahead and get the fan base excited. And you know, it's Trey Lance is their guy. If, if I think Trey throws, and now you add Kittle into the mix, you know, the one sixty four last week should only it should only be better this week. If they have no running game right now to speak of, I mean, we're looking at who Jeff Wilson and another guy, another third third round third string guy. 
this has to be Trey Lance's one of his best games of the year. Like it has to be. They're going to put the ball in his hand and say, "Dude, you need to go out there and you need to perform." Like, what are they going to do? Are they, are they going to, you know, pussyfoot around all game long with this dude? Like, they need to go ahead and get him out there. And I mean that, and I, I mean that sincerely. That if this guy can't throw for more than 164 yards in this game, Jimmy G needs to be the starting quarterback, and San Fran needs to own up and say we got the wrong guy. Is Trey Lance accurate? Not really, to be honest with you. But I mean, that was a, a tough situation, and he should feel extremely comfortable coming from that environment to this one. This is the best environment he's ever going to get. So Trey Lance over 190 and a half passing yards. I'm all over it. One of my favorite props of the week. Yeah, I, I like the Trey Lance anytime touchdown prop. I think there's really good value on that. You're talking about a young quarterback. He's trying to figure things out. I feel like it, it, it's weird with Lance, the way he was drafted over Mac, Mac Jones with that whole confusion a couple years ago. I feel like people are just out there on Lance, just waiting to attack this kid. Like every time he makes a mistake, I, I, I just, I hate seeing like the, 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 the hatred out there for a young kid. He's like nine, barely 19 years old out there playing quarterback. It seems like, and uh, I'm rooting for him, man. I think there's a ton of talent there. I, I think if all things go right, you're looking at a guy who has more potential, more potential than almost any quarterback in the league. So I'm rooting for the kid. I think he's going to have a bounce back game. And like you said, like he still put up those yards in a freaking monsoon last year. I'm mean, last week, excuse me. And it wasn't his fault that the San Francisco 49ers secondary completely broke down and let uh, Equinemius St. Brown and Dante Pettis score touchdowns against him last week. Like, why isn't the defense getting the criticism that Lance got last week? Lance wasn't turning the ball over every single play that he had it, despite being in that type of weather. Dude, Lance is out there running the ball, scrambling for his life, getting hit on almost every single play. He's playing through the hits, and he's not fumbling the ball. Like, I was actually pretty impressed with what I saw from Lance and how he handled himself and his composure in that type of situation there. And I would not put that loss on him by any means for week one. So I'm with you there. I'm bullish on Lance for week two. Uh, I had to dock him a little bit in my ranking, Sleepy, but I've still got him number 10 overall. I've still got him four spots ahead of ECR. I've actually got your boy Justin Fields playing against your Packers, ranked one spot ahead of Lance uh, for week two, but I've got those guys back-to-back nine and ten. Um, this might be one of my favorite props on the board, Sleepy, and, and, and you hit this uh, for our subscriber Discord last week. You bet Penny under rushing plus receiving yards, and you know who we're going to see this week make his NFL debut? is going to be Kenneth Walker. And, and you know what else you can count on? Probably more than anything, man. We, we, we won a lot of props betting this way last year. It's death, taxes, and fading running backs against San Francisco 49ers defense. And I had a two-unit play last week. That was my biggest, my biggest prop of the week that cashed pretty easily on David Montgomery under rushing yards against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we can still bet Rashad Penny under 50-and-a-half rushing yards against the 49ers defense, like a defense that – since the beginning of last year has been absolutely elite in terms of being able to stop the run. And if we're getting Walker back into the fold, I just don't see the efficiency being there for a guy like Penny. So the only thing I got to decide, you you made the bet on his under rushing plus receiving yards. Uh, I'm kind of torn in between. I might just bet both. It's under 50 and a half rushing yards for Penny and then under 61 and a half rushing plus receiving yards in this game. He's not He's not used much as a pass catching back. And he might split carries with Walker in this game. Even with a full workload, I'm still going to bet Penny under. The Walker factor I don't think is being baked into the line enough, even though it looks like Walker's pretty much going to play in this game. So that's absolutely one of my favorite props of the week. My favorite prop last week I said on this podcast was Dave Montgomery under. My favorite prop for this week so far, Rashad Penny under against the 49ers defense as well. Yeah, that's all 
happy and fine and dandy, but I'm not stamping that until you tell everybody what you did one minute into the second quarter, what your tech said to me. Oh yeah. You know, I, I was, uh, I, I was, uh, I was getting a little scared, man. I saw the box score. I, I saw Penny was like on pace for like 200 yards. I'm like, Oh, we're going to lose that prop. And uh, it turns out, like I said, man, the, the under, it's always a winner until it's not. And, and he never wound up going over despite him getting all those yards in the first quarter. So I, I, that was good hit by you, man. It makes me feel even better about this bet going into week two. Honestly. <laughs> it's funny too. Cause you sent me the text and I'm like, we're dead before halftime, dude. I was scared shitless. And then, I, I, couldn't and then I look and I'm like, winner. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I got to get Chris back. I got to rub it in. But no, I will stamp that one for sure. I think the Ken Walker is actually, you know, maybe the, the biggest thing for you in that one. But we'll see. We'll see how that all works out. Hopefully, I, I, I can promise you I will not text you one minute into a second quarter with any of your bets unless it's either a winner or it's already a loser, but I know none of that projection stuff for me. Well, I, 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 I do. I, I'm going to do that every week. So just, just, right. just, just, just be ready. For, be ready for the roller coaster ride of emotions with me, man. You only do it when I'm like, when I have a losing ticket, like you don't do it when I have a winning way. You're like, Hey, you know, this guy's like, you know, four yards away from it's like, it's always like something that's like on the fringe of losing. Like, give me some love. You got to give me some. Love. I know. See, that, that's the thing. I, I'll text you on your winners as soon as they win. The second they win, I'll text you, but I'll never text you before one wins because I'm too afraid to jinx it. All right. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how this week goes and we'll update everybody. Uh, let's go. Let's get into our next game here. Let's talk about your Bengals. That team royally pissed me off last week. And I'll just leave it at that. The Bengals pissed me off last week. Um, they're going to be on the road here at Dallas. Bengals minus seven. And we have a total of 42 and a half. Here's what I'll say, guys. The line's wrong. 100%. I don't care what anybody says. You want to bring them on for a debate, I'll debate them. The Bengals should not be minus seven. Dallas was minus two and a half, and now the Bengals are – that's a nine and a half point move. There's no quarterback in, like, the history of the league that's worth nine and a half points. Dak Prescott is not worth that much. So this line should not be Bengals minus seven. It probably should be, like, Bengals minus four and a half or five. I'll say, okay, Dak at best is worth the touchdown. But this line's wrong. So if you're betting the Bengals at minus seven, I really think that you're long term. If you made this bet, I can guarantee you will you will lose money. The only way that you could probably attack the Bengals here, Chris, is probably go ahead and play them in a teaser, which I did. I did that last week, and I don't think there's any way possible I lose two weeks in a row teasing the Bengals. The Bengals are coming here hungry, pissed off. There's no way in hell Burrow is going to have that type of a game. Total on this game is 42. I'm going right back to the same play I made last week, touchdown prop on Joe Mixon to score a touchdown, and that's minus 120. Look, he had 34 touches last week, and I talked about it going into last week's podcast that the week, the year prior in, in week one, he had 33 touches, so he actually outdid himself by one. I think he gets in the end zone here. But he just It's just too many touches, and it's not like, oh, we need to take the ball to Mixon's hands because he's not doing the job. Mixon did everything that he could in that game. So I think he he gets fed here a lot, and I don't think Dow slows him down. I don't think they can stop him. Um, their defense didn't look all that great. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play Mixon to go ahead and score a touchdown uh, at minus 120. And let me give you this one there, Chris. This is a screwball one. I don't even know how to say this guy's name. I never heard of him in my life. I'm just going to take a shot at his name. Semi Fajoko, 11-1. This was Cooper Rush's like main target. This is the guy that he probably actually feels the most comfortable with because this is the guy that he works with all the time with the second team. He had three total targets last week. 
And he ended up with all those targets from who? Cooper Rush. Well, Cooper Rush is now the starting quarterback. And we know what the Dallas wide receiver core has looked like. It's not that healthy. It's not that great. So um, I'm just going to take a, a shot in the dark and say, hey, this guy gets down there in a couple red zone plays where, where, where Rush is comfortable. And look, if this guy catches a touchdown, guess what? And we lose every other one, we're good. We're still good. So I'm going to go ahead and do that one. Chris, that's my one screwball one for the podcast. Um, Semi Fajoko. I don't even know if that's his name, but that's what I'm calling him. Semi Fajoko, 11-1 to score a touchdown. That's what I got. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh that that's that's a good catch there. I I, would, I looked at the box score and I, and I watched most of that game, but towards the end it started to trail off because it was such a blow, blowout and so like an underwhelming offensive game from Dallas, even when Dak was playing. But yeah, uh, Fajoko, I had him in my. I mean, I ranked two hundred receivers in the preseason. I had him in there. Uh, he actually had emerged over Jalen Tolbert in the offseason as a potential uh, third, fourth wide receiver in the offense. So uh, it's obviously Lamb number one. Noah Brown eventually became number two as long as Gallup's still out. He's, Gallup's not playing this weekend. And then Fajoko actually moved into the number three. The actually only surprise was that this guy, Dennis Houston, came out of nowhere and got five targets in week one. And no one – he was on no one's radar. I mean no one's radar in the preseason. So I would – but the funny thing with him, he's like plus 400. So a huge gap between him and Fajoko. I love the – I love that preseason backup quarterback – you know, uh, rookie, young, inexperienced receiver having that chemistry in the preseason. I definitely love the value there for sure on that. Uh, I actually like a touchdown prop in this one, Sleepy. And uh, I'm with you on the mixing one. Uh, I have a, actually have a better bet I like on him than that. I'll get to in a second. I like T. Higgins plus 145. Uh, missed practice all week but because his father passed away. So condolences to T. Higgins' family uh, for losing his father. Uh, he left last week's game very early with an injury with a concussion. Didn't seem to be very serious. I think he cleared protocols pretty quickly. Unless anything changes and we hear anything about him being on a snap count, plus 145 with that narrative going in, in a game where the Bengals, like you said, I agree with you that, that they probably shouldn't be lying as big as minus seven, but they're probably getting a ton of action at the same time. And this is a get-right spot where the Bengals, they can win this game, they can feel good, they can go to one-on-one in the season. T. T Higgins comes back. He's, he's already a red zone threat as it is. Uh, that, to me, like all point in the direction. I, I, I like the value there, plus 145. I actually like to go to the head-to-head market here. And you've listened to our podcast long enough. Like, I don't play crazy, like, odds that much. Like, when it comes to, like, you really eating a ton of big. But, man, like, I have this number, like, in terms of, like, what I'm looking at overall, probably closer to, like, a minus 400. Um it's the head-to-head rushing yards between Joe Mixon and Zeke Elliott. I, I, I really like Mixon minus 250. Take it for what you will. Like, you got to bet basically like two and a half units to win a unit. But Zeke Elliott, man, like, it, it's just – it's not happening in this game. And with the with the game script being and with the spread of the Cowboys possibly losing by a touchdown or more here, uh, his line's at 51 and a half. Mixon's at 71 and a half. You talked about the workload Mixon saw – if the Bengals are in a positive game script here with any type of a lead, they're going to run the hell out of Joe Mixon. And we saw how much success that Fournette had running the ball against the Cowboys in week one. And on the flip side, we saw actually the Bengals run defense play quite well against Najee Harris and the Steelers, despite the Steelers being ahead for most of that game. So uh, there's there are very few scenarios for me outside of a Mixon injury where I see him not uh, outscoring or outrushing Zeke Elliott in terms of pure rushing yards by a wide margin in week two. So 
I'm willing to eat that big. Like the limits are low in these things. Like I'd be surprised if anyone could get more down than more than maybe like a hundred bucks or so. But I, I really like the value there on Mixon over Zeke in terms of total rushing yards for this game, as well as the T Higgins plus 145 touchdown prop. I dig it. I dig it. Let me throw this one at you too. I'm going to play an over and this is on your boy. And that's Jamar Chase over 75 and a half receiving yards, 16 targets, 16. Now Higgins, you know, he's going to play probably, but he might not be a hundred percent. He did miss, you know, a good portion of practice last week, but I have a feeling like Chase is going to explode and that he's going to go over this number by halftime. You know, we were talking a while back about getting ahead of the market and, you know, we were talking about the Lamar Jackson and just get ahead of the market and look, Chase is just as good as Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup, right? I, I think we could probably pretty much agree on that. But those guys are lined at 98 yards, 99 yards, 96 yards, and Chase is only here at 75. Like, he should be up there with those guys. He's getting 16 targets. This is Joe Burrow's number one guy. He exploded on the scene last year, and it was like, damn. Like, he knows this guy. He threw balls to him in college. So I think Chase is, is actually being underpriced, and it's only a matter of time before we start seeing this guy just consistently stuck in the 90s to the point to where, you know, you you have trouble betting Cooper Cup, like, over 92 yards. You have trouble betting Justin Jefferson over his 98 yards. Like, yeah, those guys are going to go over too. But I think Chase is just underpriced, and he's going to be up there in the 90s, and eventually we're not going to be able to get him because if he sees 16 targets again in this game against Dallas defense, he's going over, and he's going over by halftime. So I feel like I'm buying him now uh, kind of at a low point because 16 targets to me is just – it's really impressive. And if he, all he has to do is – I mean, he could he could, he could could literally go over this number in two catches because he's he's a deep threat. So I'm not sure if you like that one, Chris, but I do think he's underpriced and he should be priced up there with the you know the other two big receivers that I mentioned. But over 75 and a half yards, I'll bite here. I think Burrow bounces back in a big way and, and Chase is going to be his – his go-to guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it at all with that rationale. The only thing that that concerns me is that the the Cowboys can't really compete with Cooper Rush at quarterback. But we overrate those things. You make a great point on that. Even last year, remember, uh, uh, it was a prime time. I think it was a Sunday night game when Cooper Rush had to start for Dak, and the Vikings wound up beating the cow. Uh, the, the Cowboys wound up beating the Vikings. Excuse me, with Cooper Rush at quarterback, he had 325 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, in that game, Zeke Elliott had 50 yards rushing, pretty much in line with the market says right now. Now, remember this, Sleepy. The target share in that game, Zeke had six targets. Pollard had one. Maybe that's a little more split between the running backs in this game. Amari Cooper in that game, 13 targets, eight catches, 122 yards. CeeDee Lamb, eight catches, six targets, 112 yards. So literally more than half of Rush's attempts went to the top two receivers in that offense. I think Lamb is due for an absolutely massive, massive workload volume-wise in this game. And he had a couple, you know, high-profile drops on Sunday Night Football. He's not going to the doghouse. They're going to keep feeding him. And maybe he, maybe he keeps struggling with this team for a while. But to me, over four and a half catches for CeeDee Lamb, even money, I definitely like that a lot, especially given the, given the projected game script and the spread. Right now, uh, in, in that game as well, Dalton Schultz had seven seven targets, only two catches in that game. Uh, but to me, Lamb is like the ultimate uh, buy low guy coming off of week one. And in a game where Cooper Rush, if he throws 41 times, 
Uh, I mean, I, I'm betting the over four and a half catches for CeeDee Lamb almost every time in that scenario. So I, I, I do also like CeeDee Lamb over the four and a half catches. No, I hope you're right because I got a couple of shares of him. The only thing that worries me about Lamb is that, and this is going back to last week, is he looked ejected a lot because it was it was just – and look, Dak didn't look all that accurate, but you know he, they didn't have a whole lot of room. But I will say this about Cooper Rush, and, and I'll say this to you guys because – I don't believe that this is actually done. This is going back to this goofy semi Fajoko prop that I gave out. Is when you know that a backup quarterback comes in, go through the play by play and write down all the receivers and write down how many attempts that they got. And you might see like Lamb in there like twice and Brown in there like three times. But when you see a guy like Fajoko and he's in there and it was like, boy, he he out targeted all these guys in just two drives. Like literally, I think that's how many drives that Rush had. He only had like two drives. And this guy out-targeted everybody else on the team. So go do that. And, you know, there's going to be guys that go down this week and there will probably be backups and stuff. And look for these screwball guys because you're never going to get a receiving yardage prop on a guy like Semi Fajoko. You're not going to find it. But they do list pretty much every damn player that's on the team, a skill position, guys, to get a touchdown. So if you're looking to attack somebody, you know, looking to attack uh, anything with with a player like that, like you're going to have to do it through the touchdown market. And 11 to 1. And look, Cooper Rush is going to end up being, you know, the guy for a while. This could be a guy that, that surfaces kind of like the Cedric Wilson did, you know, for Dallas last year, where, you know, 11 to 1 quickly becomes, you know, plus 550 or something like that. So that's one way that I'll tell you guys how to, how to maybe make some money, but for sure a way to go ahead and, you know, and attack, you know, the backup quarterback and who he might actually target quite a bit. So uh, I do yeah. want to, I did want to bring that up. Well, I would say the same thing. Uh, we brought this up talking about Washington last week before week one was I mentioned that in the brief times that Carson Wentz had played in the preseason that Curtis Samuel had like double the amount of targets as the next receiver. And we saw that completely play out in the same type of way in week one with Curtis Samuel getting 11 targets, scoring a touchdown. We hit both those touchdown props in the podcast last week. I had Samuel, you had Dotson. You put Dotson in your touchdown props column. So again, like, that's not exactly the same scenario as a backup, but it was still a new quarterback. Who's he throwing to in the brief times we see him in the preseason? I would definitely go back to the preseason play logs, like you said. And also as well, I would go back to last year's game. Obviously, it's a different wide receiver core now with a few different guys in there. Look at the end of the game last week and then look at the preseason that Rush played. And you can really get a good idea of like who he has a chemistry with and who he doesn't have a chemistry with. So I definitely agree. I think that's a great point. Yeah, you got to go through the preseason log. I mean, that's one of the, the more important things. And I think one of the things that kind of fogs that up is that, you know, you get like your second, let's just say your backup, your backup quarterback, he's going to be throwing the ball to a lot of guys, even now with, with that aren't even on the team. So if you do notice something like a semi Fajoko ended up with like three or four targets and, you know, it's mixed in with 14 other players, like that might be an indication like, hey, he kind of likes this guy. And then also, you know, check the depth chart. Find out if that guy's, you know, with the second team, if he's working with the second team and things like that. There's ways to kind of navigate through to really hone in and and try to steal some money because eventually, you know, that that's, you know, what we're trying to do here. Uh, let's jump over to the Texans. Uh, they'll be on the road here at Denver. Denver, uh, they played a nice dud game last week. Russell Wilson going back to Seattle. Uh, Denver's going to be a big favorite here. Chris minus 10. We have a total of 45. Here's my touchdown prop. Why not Brandon Cooks? Plus 190. Houston likely to probably be in a, a pass-first offense here, you know, being a big dog. He had 12 targets last week. Denver pass defense against Geno Smith actually looked pretty bad. 
DK actually has this at plus 190, and FanDuel has it at plus 135. So shop around. I felt like plus 190 was actually a good price, and plus 140 is actually what I thought we would see because Cooks, you know, being the number one, getting 12 targets uh, in probably a game script that's going to, you know, require the Texans to throw. Uh, so I did that. Brennan Cooks plus 190. Now let me go back to a goofy prop that I had last week that, that pissed me off, but I thought I thought for sure that I had this one licked. And it was Russell Wilson over his rushing yards. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it again. I'll play it again. This, if it doesn't hit, I, I won't do it again. But I'll play him over 8.5 rushing yards. Last week, this number was 13.5. So and we got full five-yard adjustment. And I'm not necessarily sure that that's correct. Uh, Wilson, he only ran the ball once last week. And look, Denver lost. So something needs to change. Maybe it's Russ running about, around a little bit more and you know trying to make things happen with his feet. You know, We saw it a lot in Seattle. Like, that dude will get outside of the pocket and scramble around and have people chasing him here and there. And maybe he was just not feeling like running last week. I don't know what it was. But, look, I'm taking him over rushing yards over eight and a half. I think it was a little bit much of, a, of an overreaction, too much of an adjustment. So I'll go ahead. I'll do that, Chris. And then I have a head-to-head. If you don't steal it, because I have a feeling that you will. As I was writing this down, I'm like, he's going to end up stealing this one on me. But I do have a head-to-head that I like quite a bit. But what do you got for Texas at Denver? Yeah, th- this one's a little bit tough for me because we look at the workload that Naj- uh, not Najee Harris, Javante Williams had in week one, and he was used a ton in the passing game, but then almost had less than half of the rushing attempts that Melvin Gordon has. And I, I don't see the game script working out this week to where we're going to see the Bron- Broncos being ha- having to play from behind. So I'm really curious to see what the split's going to be like. Did they just do that because they wanted to use Javante more in the passing game? They wanted to maybe get a little bit less off his plate? Uh, maybe. But it's really hard for me to find any value in the prop market because of that. Because I, I would say I'd rather bet Gordon to score a touchdown, but it's really not much value at plus 105 on Melvin Gordon in that sense either. So that's a stay away for me on the props. I would say maybe you're looking at a guy like Brandon Cooks, like you said, you mentioned him is like plus 190, you know, with all the targets that he got. I mean, you're just betting on volume alone there. Uh, you know, we'll see if the coaching staff with Houston decides to make any more changes in terms of the workload split between Rex Burkhead and Damian Pierce. So those are just some of the things I'm looking at overall. I mean, I, me and you, Sleepy, we were both on Denver week one. I ha- I was in one survivor contest with a buddy. I thought that Denver was the best bet on the board. I was with the squares on that one, and I lost. I, I-, I have to swallow the L and take it on that one. It is what it is. Uh, but I have a hard time seeing them lose as touchdown favorites in, in back-to-back weeks. So uh, that I'm approaching this game where I- I'm buying into the spread in terms of the uh, projected game script here. Uh, in terms of the head-to-head matchup, Sleepy, like I'm not really sure, man, because – Again, like these workloads were split in both teams, like Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon on one side, Damian Pierce and Rex Burkhead on the other side. Now, the one head-to-head, let's see if I hit the one you said. To me, I would look towards Brandon Cooks, man. Like he's the alpha, and you can get a 155, minus 155 over Sutton head-to-head receiving yards. So honestly, like Sutton to me, like he's like Allen Robinson where the name used to be good on paper, but a lot of injuries later, a lot of years of age and aging later, and Sutton's not that same guy anymore. So I have a hard time seeing Sutton getting the volume, getting the game script to go his way in order to get more receiving yards than Brandon Cooks. So that would be the one place I'd look for my favorite head-to-head matchup based on everything I've seen so far. All right, here's my head-to-head. I'm going to go out. I'm going to play 
Javonta Williams over Burkhead. Now, it's chalky. It's minus 175, so it's a small pizza bet for me here. And look, I know it's chalky, but again, it's it's Rex Burkhead, who I actually think he'll, he'll see his production cut in half here for a few reasons. And I don't think Williams' production will be cut down at all. I actually think that there's a, that there's a chance, you know, they could be actually increased. Damian Pierce for the Texans, I actually think his volume might actually increase for this game. And if, you know, the Texans are down, Burkhead's not going to get like the 14 touches out of the backfield that he had last week. So I actually could see less touches for him running. And look, he did make a splash in the, in the passing attack. But, you know, if the Texans really need to go ahead and get in this game and push the ball down the field, Burkhead's not going to be the first option. It's going to be Cooks, it's going to be Howard, it's going to be Nico Collins, guys like that. Guys that are getting down the field to push the ball down the field. I get it, Burkhead can get you, you know, a first down here or there or something like that, move the chains. But I believe that, you know, that, that the Texans are going to be down in this game, at least at least I think. And they're going to have to, you know, push the ball further on down the field than, than Rex Burkhead. So I'll play Williams minus 175. It's chalky. It's a small pizza bet here. But, again, it's Rex Burkhead, dude. Like, I mean, is he really the number one option on this team? I just I just don't believe it. So uh, I'll go ahead. I'll do that. That'll be my head-to-head there. Um, you did bring up something interesting there, Chris, and I forget what the hell you said, but maybe I'll remember it in a little bit. But let's go ahead and let's get to our last game here. Uh, we got – I hated this game. The card's at the Raiders. Raiders minus five, total 51.5. Personally, I like the Raiders in this game. I am not high on this Cardinals team at all. At all the games, this actually was the hardest one for me to go ahead and find a TD prop. So um, as much as I don't like the Cardinals, I'll go ahead. I'll play Zach Ertz at plus 220, the passing attack for the Cardinals. The one thing that was positive, it was it was actually quite compact. Just seven players targeted last week. Ertz didn't get a ton of work, just four targets, two catches. Uh, he did end up with a touchdown, though, so that, that was good. So, you know, maybe if they increase the volume here, increase the catches, you know, maybe I go ahead and, and catch another touchdown here from Ertz, but do not like this one a whole lot. But I will say this, Chris, my favorite head-to-head is coming up next. This is actually by far my favorite one. I will not be shocked if you steal this. Actually, if you steal it, I won't even get my handicap out. I'll just say kudos to you, my man. You, you hit my best prop. So that's all I got for that with the touchdowns. But my head-to-head, I'm curious what you got. Maybe you don't even have one. I don't know. But what do you got? Well, I actually looked for a prop in this game last night, and I didn't see it now, and it's there now, and I'm a little disappointed in what the number is. I think I was late to the, I was late to the plate on this one. Maybe, I'm going to shop around and see what the best number is for this one for sure. But uh, I, I mean, I, I don't even know if he's available in a head-to-head yet. I was just looking at the main board here, but I was going to look for receptions or targets head-to-head. And let's see, it's not under targets. Look, man. I'm going to say my favorite prop. So it might not, I haven't gotten around to the late slate much yet in ter- terms of my official betting card. So I'm a little late to the party on this game specifically. But the one prop I was waiting for, Sleepy, was, of course, Greg Dortch. I was waiting for my Greg Dortch player props to come out. And it seems like they were ju- just put out either sometime earlier today or tonight. Guy had nine targets for the Arizona Cardinals last week. He was the number one receiver. More than Marquise Brown, more than Zach Ertz, more than A.J. Green, the corpse of A.J. Green. More than James Conner, Eno Benjamin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Greg Dorch, again, like no Rondell Moore again this week. He's already been ruled out. Andy Isabella ran in four wide receiver sets last week. He's not playing this week either. AJ Ground, AJ Green, every time he gets a day older, he's getting slower and he's getting less separation between his defensive, his opposing defensive back. So 
every week, week that goes by, I don't, I don't want to buy into AJ Green getting another target or another catch in this offense. So Greg Dorch to me, like a guy that not many of us heard of. He was in my top 200 rankings as I mentioned before. And this is a guy that's been buried on depth charts in his short NFL career so far, but actually had a pretty decent profile coming out of college. The guy played at Wake Forest, five foot seven, shifty guy, fast receiver, good hands, can play the slot. Um, he's only 24 years old. He only has three career receptions uh, to his name coming in this season, but he's been in the league for a few years and finally has a spot now at the Arizona Cardinals. So I think in this, this is one of the highest total games on the slate. Um, that the Las Vegas Raiders, I don't, I'm not a big fan of their defense overall, but they do have a pretty solid pass rush, and, and the Arizona Cardinals have a pretty weak offensive line, which means to me, again, Card, uh, the Kyler Murray is going to be running for his life, and he's either going to be scrambling or he's going to be looking at the short area targets in the field. Probably a lot of checks downs to Connor, probably a lot of uh, dump downs, short passes to the slot, where Greg Dorch is going to be running a lot of routes as well. So uh, I, I like Greg Dorch over three and a half catches. Not sure if it can make my best bet card if it's minus 170, but definitely look to shop around on that. I'd probably be willing to play it like anything like minus 140 or less. Uh, I just think that minus 170 is asking way too much for such a small sample, but uh, that's the guy that stuck out to me from week one with the Cardinals, uh, a team that's probably going to be trailing a lot this year in a full PPR type of format. I really like a guy like Greg Dorch with all that volume there. And again, in a pass first offense in Arizona, so... Uh, that, that's where I'm looking so far for week one. We're talking about four catches for a guy that had seven catches on nine targets last week. And I see a similar type of game script and, and, and same, same type of uh, game total playing it, uh, itself out here in week two. So definitely high on your boy, Greg Dorch uh, at a Wake Forest there. All right. So you didn't hit the head to head and we got to give out, we got to give out a best bet. So we'll each give one out and I'm, I'm giving this one out for sure. It's a head-to-head. It's James Conner over Josh Jacobs for more rushing and receiving yards. Conner actually outtouched Jacobs last week, 15-11. to 11, And I felt like Conner was 110% completely limited because the rushing attack was just not there because the Falcons were getting their – or the Cardinals were getting their dicks kicked in the dirt. Uh, they were getting smashed, and I think that that just ruined everything for Conner. You know, Chris and I talked about Connor last week, and you know we liked some of his rushing yard props and some of his touchdown props, and I think he really got the short end of the stick. They're not going to be down forty-four to whatever the hell it was uh, against the Raiders. Are the Raiders good? Yeah, but they're not. They're they're not going to blow this team out. Um, Josh Jacobs is not. A, he doesn't impress me at all. And a lot of this is based. And I think the line actually, the fact that Connor's plus one hundred five, like he's plus one hundred five, he should be the favorite in this one. It's really just based off last week last week's results. It's not based off expectation. James Conner is going to have probably more yards rushing than Josh Jacobs is going to have rushing and receiving. I, and I, that's how I actually feel. I feel like Conner's going to get a healthy dose here on the ground and through the air. He was heavily targeted. And look, if they are down, then cool, because they don't have a whole lot of wide receiver options on his team that you know were trustworthy. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to for sure get Conner uh, in the passing attack, but it's the ground game that that's going to pan out better. He only had ten touches last week. It was it was just tough sledding. He's going to end up with probably fifteen touches, fourteen on the ground. He'll he'll get a couple more, and, and he's going to get. There's this play's not going to lose. It's a best bet. I'm I'm all over this James Conner all day. 
rushing and receiving yards over Josh Jacobs. I'm getting plus 105. It should be like minus 130. So I'm all over that. That's my best bet for the pod there, Chris. Not sure how you feel about that one, but if you do have a best bet, now would be the time for you to go ahead and give it out. Well, let me fi- let me finish this game, and then I'll recap my best bets like we did last week. I had three best bets. They went 2-1 and one last week on the podcast. So hoping to keep that going. Um, for this game, just to wrap this game up, I like Darren Waller head-to-head receiving yards over Zach Ertz. Darren Waller is the more explosive, younger player, just got his new contract. Arizona's secondary is like Swiss cheese. We saw what Patrick Mahomes was able to do against them last week, and we saw who went off was the tight end, Travis Kelsey. I think Waller has a mammoth game here. Devontae Adams, as much as I love him, and I probably, if I had to bet Devontae, I'd bet him over seven and a half receptions because he's coming off a 17-target game. But to me, that just means, hey, a little bit of regression. Let's get Devontae down to like 13, 14 targets, maybe 12 targets. Those targets got to go somewhere else. Maybe a few extra go to Renfro. Probably a few extra go to Darren Waller. Six targets, four catches, 79 yards. We know he's an explosive play threat in a good matchup here for the Las Vegas Raiders with a high total. Then you look at the Arizona Cardinals, and I know they're down all these guys, but, you know, Ertz is, is starting to get up there in age himself. 31 years old, off a lot of injuries. He's... He might get the targets. He might get the receptions. Ertz is not getting the yards. Like there is a Twitter account out there with like thousands of followers that's like literally talking about Zach Ertz never getting yards after the catch. We know that's not a part of his game whatsoever. Four targets last week, two catches for 14 yards. This should be at least minus 200 in my opinion. So I absolutely love Waller, minus 165. Not the targets, not the receptions the receiving yards more than Ertz in this game. That's my favorite bet for this game. I, I'm convinced. I love that one too. The fact that Ertz only had four four targets, two catches last week, but you know, you mentioned it, it's the yak. And there's no way that Adams – I don't want to say there's no way, but I think after last week the fact that, hey, he got 17 targets, but they ended up coming up short and losing, that it's like, hey, spread the wealth a little bit. Like you said, maybe Renfro gets a couple more, but – Waller is going to end up getting close to double digits here. I think they spread the wealth, and he's a guy that is not easy to bring down. So I'm with you 110%. 165, I don't want to say it's a bargain, Chris, but the line, in my opinion, is wrong, and I agree with you with that. Um, so I dig that one. So what are we going to do? Are we going to give out three best bets? Because if we are, I got I got a couple that, that I'll go ahead and, and, I'll, and I'll say are my best bets. So let me give you three. I'll give you the head-to-head that I just gave you. Connor over Josh Jacobs in the rushing and receiving. I love that one. I also love the Stafford under 36 and a half passing attempts. I'll give that out as a best bet. And then the final one I'll go ahead and give out. I'm going to go ahead. I'll give out Trey Lance over 190 and a half passing yards. I think this is a perfect situation for him. Terrible weather last week. Ended up with a loss. Now he gets to come back home, prove his worth. And he's put in a situation where he's going to have the fan base behind him. And the backfield with San Francisco that is really iffy right now. Like, if, if Trey Lance needs to step up, it's it's this week. And 190 and a half just seems way too low. Like, this dude's starting quarterback for a reason. If he can't hit this, they need to they need to bring Jimmy G in. So those are my three best bet props there, Chris. That's what I got. What do you got? I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with, 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 a, with a triple play special here with head-to-head matchups for this week. I, I'm seeing the most value there so far. And I, I know we got to eat a little bit of big on a couple of them. But to me, I'm going to stick with what I just said. Darren Waller over Zach Ertz, more receiving yards, head-to-head matchup on DraftKings. That's one. My second one, we brought it up earlier in the podcast, Saquon Barkley, 
more total rushing plus receiving yards than Christian McCaffrey head-to-head. Again, DraftKings, you can actually get better odds. Barkley's the underdog in that head-to-head matchup despite getting 10 more total touches in week one and having a better matchup on paper in week two as well. Uh, And then the third one I'm going to say is the Mixon over Zeke. That's the one you got to eat the big on. But again, to me, my, my numbers put that at like minus 350. It's minus 250. Again, the limits aren't that high for this type of stuff, but you can get at least one unit down if you're betting 100 bucks a play uh, on that. So I definitely like that Mixon over Zeke. And I'll put, I'll give an extra one, a bonus one in there, Sleepy, that we're going to track is the one I brought up before, Rashad Penny. I'm going to go under 50 and a half rushing yards in week two against San Francisco. I, I strongly debated playing the under 61 and a half. Uh, I'm just concerned that he has such like breakaway talent. Maybe he gets that one or two targets that puts him over by chance. Probably playing a little bit scared that way, but I, I'm more confident in San Francisco's defense shutting down the run, playing motivated in this game where you know the Seahawks might be coming a little bit fat and happy here, and they might not be ready for what the 49ers defense is going to put on them in week two. So I would say those are my three favorite head-to-head bets. My fourth bonus bet, favorite just straight-up bet, prop bet for the week, Rashad Penny under 50-and-a-half rushing yards. All right, good stuff on that. That should be uh... – I don't know, Chris. I feel really good about our best bets this week. I think we're we're certainly going to win. And again, if you guys want to win, you want to beat your friends, go to brothrow.com backslash BPNFL. You guys can go ahead and you can bet your friends over there. I think that that's actually going to be pretty cool. Chris, I will say this. If Rashad Penny is anywhere near the yardage one minute into the second quarter, you're getting a text. He so. gets it. Rashad Penny gets five carries on his first uh, in his first carry of the game. You got you, You're going to have to text me and be like, "Dude, this guy's going for a hundred yards, man." I was ripping my hair out, dude. Every time he would break a tackle, I was like, "Dude, where is it? What kind of tackling is this? Come on, get this guy!" Finally, it's like, "Oh, I couldn't." And, that, and, that, and that's and that's the beauty of betting unders, man. Like the guy could come out blazing out of the gates, and all of a sudden his team falls from behind, or their lead starts to slip a little bit. The defense starts to realize, like, hey, this is the only guy we really need to even respect or care about in this game. And all of a sudden, he gets shut out, and he doesn't get more than 20 yards the rest of the way. And, and that's that's the thing for me. It, it's it's As we talked about many times, it's easier to target and bet overs. It's more difficult and challenging to bet unders. And you know what? It always takes more work to make more money. And that's that's our goal with this stuff is to dig through the weeds with all these things. And that's why I really like having this alternate uh, – as you know, like you brought you brought on Matt and Chris to talk about the betting legalization on a couple podcasts ago, and those are great guests to have. But like, that's kind of the embodiment of where we are in the sports betting world. Sleepy, as you know, it's like every state that legalizes gambling means more sports betting becomes more popular. Player props become more popular because they're that gateway between fantasy players and actual real betting. And that just means we're going to have every year, every week we do this. We're going to have more options, more props than ever before. We never had all these. We never even had all these head-to-head matchups last year to bet on. So the the suite of options to choose from is just going to get bigger and bigger. And if we can't always bet unders and overs, then I think these head-to-head matchups can be very valuable to target. And again, we were three and zero in them last week. I feel very good about the ones that were on this week again for week two. All right. Well, that's a good podcast and awesome bets and good conversation. So hopefully. Uh... I think one week, Chris, it will get us uh, pretty dialed in on, on to, you know, what's going to end up happening. You know, week one, it's tough. It's a tough week. I'll tell you right now, a lot of betters do not win in week one. You know, it takes them a week, two weeks to go ahead and kind of just 
understand what's going on and you know a lot of new coaches a lot of new players and game plans and different things that are going on so it takes a little bit of time but you know for the results that we posted last week on the betting predators i was uh i was really happy about that so that that was really encouraging and again guys like you know right now we're week two we don't have bye weeks these podcasts you know chris and i we want to get through all the games and, and give you all the best bets that we can and we know these podcasts are going long you know we're getting two hours so um, you know, as soon as the bye weeks come around, it'll be a little bit shorter for you guys. And Chris and I are, you know, we're, it's been a while, you know, but, but we have a blast doing these and we'll tighten them up. You know, we'll try to get these puppies out for you in, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half at best, you know, once the bye weeks come around and give you guys, you know, all the best stuff that we have. But, uh, with that said, you guys know where to find us on Twitter, sleepyj underscore pregame at mad journalist. You guys could always get us at the bettingpredators.com. And on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck for NFL week number two. Enjoy the games. <laughs>